Hell is overflowing and Satan is sending his dead to us. Yiggity, yeah, bud. Yeah, buds. Welcome back, friends, to the Joe Blow Horror Show, where we review, rate, discuss, and break down horror movies, not horror films. You can take those films and you can shove them right up your hoop, sandpaper finish. We ain't playing no games here. We are coming at you with a brand new series that we are calling Summer of the Dead, where we are going to have special guests on for each of the Romero movies and a couple bonus ones in between. And you'll have to just stay tuned to find that out. With us, kicking off this inaugural episode is a host that I have wanted on for quite a while. And it took some finagling, and I'm very, very pleased to introduce from Kill the Cast, Mr. Jerry Herring. And before you say anything, Jerry Herring, I'm still not done with my intro. Jerry Herring, his favorite movie is Jaws. He is the ultimate fanboy of Every Time I Die. Probably owns every Godzilla movie there is in every single format. He loves retro games, but he sucks at them, so we all know that. And he hates Nightmare on M Street, but... He does have a soft spot in his heart for Mystery Science Theater 3000. How, am, I, am I fairly close on those? Everything was 100% accurate. Welcome I, to I the am. show, buddy. 
<laughs> you just named like fucking three of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, I have a Mystery Science Theater 3000 tattoo. Uh, Every Time I Die is my favorite band of all time. Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. The Big I Dirty love Ball. Re- Big Dirty is my favorite Every Time I Die Fuck album. Yeah. Uh, and I love retro gaming, but I am fucking awful at it. In fact, I'm going to be start streaming retro gaming and failing at it on Twitch soon. Yep. <laughs> that is Jerry Herring. Um, he, he, I love watching him sleep. That's probably, or, uh, or that's a different thing. Never mind. But, well, anyways, um, <laughs> with us, as always, is Tibu. Tibu, what is up, buddy? Hey, I'm, oh, I'm thrilled. This is awesome. And again, Godzilla, MST3K, fucking, well, every time I die, I love them a lot. Not my favorite, but love them. Fucking good fun there. I'm excited to have Jerry Herring on the show, and I'm pumped for the summer of the dead. This is amazing. This is finally happening. As I told Boss Tuna, this was a sort of wet dream of mine that uh, I've been rolling around in for. I hope it was a recurring wet dream. Those are the best. I, for months, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I've been rolling around in these juices, just waiting for for the the time, the right time, it's and now is the time. Mm-hmm. So this is a wet dream for both of y'all. Tebow gets to do uh, <laughs> the Romero series, and Cole gets to podcast with me. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I mean, raise your hand if you're going to have a wet dream tonight. Uh, it's definitely me, but mine's for different reasons. <laughs> I'm wet right now. <laughs> All right. Speaking of wet and hard, um, I see some lights off in the distance. And I think we might need to pull in for a beer. What say you, T. Boo? Yeah, man. I feel like um, flesh isn't going to curb this appetite. I need a tasty brew from the Titty Twister. Okay, well, the Titty Twister is rocking tonight. Um, Savini is going to be probably in discussion later on, so I'm glad to see he's enjoying himself there. Cock pistol. Love it every time again. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, Tibu? Why don't you go first, buddy? What's, uh, what, what do you have paired with the OG? All right. Well, oh, oh, holy shit. Did we, <laughs> did we explain what the Summer of the Dead series was? Yeah, I did. You were out to lunch. Oh, fuck. I think I okay. did. I'm sorry. He, he did, yeah. Okay. Team Moose tripping. <clears throat> so, anyway, I've got some Elysian Space Dust IPA. This is the um, high upper scale shit at a gas station, I found out. Like, this is the uh, top tier gas station beer. Um, <laughs> before, I thought I found, like, a little hidden gem until I was schooled on... Um, what this IPA really is, but I don't care. I'm still going to drink it. I still like it. And I don't care how trashy or scummy it, it makes me, you know, makes me seem. I raise a pinky when I down this one. You have to. I mean, if you're drinking highbrow gas station beer, that's definitely the pinky lift worthy. So hold on, hold on. Look, hold on. Look. There mm-hmm. it is. Yep. Everybody knows your name. 
So <laughs> we are dipping back into Back Pocket Brewing, one of our local sponsors on the show. Uh, yeah, right. I wish. Hit me up, Back Pocket. Um, anyways, this one is a special one. I've had this in my beer fridge for about six months, and it is a Black Forest Cake Imperial Stout Barrel Aged Quebec, and it's infused with fruit. And I kind of figured this would be a good pairing because whenever I see Black Forest Cake, I just want to devour it like a zombie. So let's uh, uh, cheers to this here. And oh. I just fucking squirted all over my computer. <laughs> beer, mind you, not any other fluids. So that wraps up uh, the Titty Twister. Anything you want to add before we move on from that? Our, our Jerry Herring, I am such a terrible host. I, I knew beforehand you weren't going to be uh, enjoying any cocktails with us, but I know you're DDing, but every DD has got to have a drink. I saw you, you're mixing some. Oh, yeah. I drink uh, water with great value grape sugar-free flavoring in it. Yeah. Uh, that actually sounds pretty legit. I can get down with that. I, I, I pretty much drink it constantly. Oh, shit. There you go. Dude, and I don't know I like what how you... I'm going to be the DD. I, you know I don't drive right. Well, you are tonight, bud. <laughs> We're going to be hitchhiking. We're going to be hitchhiking tonight. No, uh... <laughs> I fuck I fucks with that um that pour in lemonade shit from the great value so don't don't you worry I'm right there with you. Yeah, I do dr- not that I don't drink. I don't drink beer though. I only drink pretty much vodka and rum. Ooh. I risk you can't go that. wrong. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a good fucking screwdriver or uh just well, I don't know what's a rum mixed drink, man. Uh, so a drink I used to drink that you can't, you can't actually make it anymore. You can make a substitute version. Captain Morgan used to have this dark liquor, uh, dark rum called tattoo. You mix that with Mountain Dew and it's tastes like golden candy. Now you have to make it with Kraken and it's a little bit more bitter. It's not quite as sweet, but it's still really good, but I can't drink Mountain Dew anymore. So now... Uh, I like to take uh, like a grape flavored vodka and put it with like Sprite Zero. I heard that they had good. pickle pickle juice infused vodka. I found out about, yep. about that shit, and I, I was like, "Holy crap! I want to try this." Pickle whiskey's a big thing, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I, yep. I want that even more. Pickle whiskey is actually my porno name. Oh, <laughs> hell yes. Guys, make sure you uh, first first one to send a clip to the Joe Blow Facebook page wins a beer. Fuck yeah, pickle whiskey. That's hilarious. you can you can find me on OnlyFans under <laughs> pickle whiskey. Pickle whiskey. Oh only shit! Fans. We're gonna have to have a pickle whiskey nightclub OnlyFans collaboration then because oh, we got man. one too. Oh hell yes! Yeah, just just tell me where I gotta sign up. <laughs> not, not to get off on a tangent, I think I told Tibu this as well. But last week was like the first like practice thing of, of my summer hockey league started. I had neighbors over uh, Saturday night. We had a fire. The way my backyard situated, a couple neighbors came by, and then a couple other neighbors saw you know the fire going. And next thing you know, there's just way too many people there, and I was just having a ball drinking this and that i don't remember going to bed when i got up the next morning my phone was at two percent in my bedroom but it was still playing bluetooth music to my fucking stereo out in the backyard and i got up 
my wife and kids were already up and, you know, cause dad always makes breakfast on Sunday and I didn't feel that bad. I got up and made some breakfast and it was one of those hangovers that around 10 o'clock I was like, I'm dying. I <laughs> go to the hospital and I laid on the couch and I was a pile of shit until two o'clock. And then my wife, you know, she, you know, whatever, she was pissed, understandably so. And she's like, you're not going to hockey tonight. And I'm like, I kind of have to. And I went after my second shift, the guy on the bench next to me was like, do you go golfing today? I was like, no, why? He's like, oh, do you have some, some drinks? I said, no. And he's like, oh. And then after another shift, another guy sat next to me and he's like, he's like, bro, you smell like a dirty bar. I was just sweating pure fucking booze and they could smell it. I was, I was the biggest pile of shit. <laughs> and, oh man i was hung over until like fucking monday it was it was rough you gotta love those next day beer sweats oh dude the older i get man i blame it on my neighbors i was only planning on having a couple beers old 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 boss tuna can't handle his liquor nope not anymore that's why i can't drink alcohol or like liquor if i drank liquor man i'd be out for a month and get to that fucking blackout quicker <laughs> There you go. I say we spent a little too much time. We're getting kicked out of this, uh, this titty twister anyways here. So we are going to, what do you guys say? We let's, I don't know. Let, let's just get on our knees and unzip the pants of this movie. We call night of the living dead. I've been waiting for this all fucking night. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Probably be a lot more of them as soon as they find out about us. All persons who die during this crisis, from whatever cause, will come back to life to seek human victims. Telling you they can't get in here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Okay, so Night of the Living Dead is a nineteen sixty eight movie. I feel like I always do this like weird little intro thing, and I feel like Everybody at least that listens to this is going to be like, yeah, we know all this shit already. But just to stay with tradition, Night of the Living Dead, 1968, it's not rated. It's about 96 minutes long. One thing, Mr. Jetty Heading, uh, that we love doing is, is we'll <laughs> always guess what the IMDb and the Rotten Tomatoes is. So since you are our esteemed guest, if you didn't look it up already, um, but... I, I know what IMDb is. I do not know what Rotten Tomatoes is. Okay. Uh, well, Tibu, we'll go to you first. Uh, guess what the IMDb is, and we're going to let Jerry guess the Rotten Tomatoes. All right. IMDb, Night of the Living Dead. Man, it's got to be up there. I, like a 7.6. 7. No? 7.9. Okay. All right. Close-ish. Mm -hmm. You know. Mr. Jerry Herring, when we do the Rotten Tomatoes, we go off of the critics, not the user rating. So what do you think the tomato meter is on this? 
So it's interesting because if it goes off like original ratings from back in the day, it would be lower. But if it goes off critics rating, now it would be higher. I'll, so, I'll give you a hint. There's 70, there's 70 critic ratings on there, which I thought was kind of low for this movie. Um, 84%. 97. 97. Okay, I undershot that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird because I would have expected the opposite. Excuse me. I would have expected a little bit higher on IMDb and a little bit less on the tomato meter, but. Well, IMDb, I have a thing for IMDb. I add two points to every horror movie. Yes. hundred percent. So it's a 7.9, but to me, it's actually technically a 9.9 from the way I look at IMDb. You are spot on. I always joke about that because I, I always like will say that IMDb is a great resource, but the ratings are fucked on it. Like, I mean, some of the best movies out there are sitting at like an eight or something. Or, or I mean, there, there's look at just really good movies that are at like a 4.4. Get shut the front door. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's very strange. And the thing with IMDb is, is most of the ratings go off just user ratings so anyone can go in there and say i didn't like not a living dead it was in black and white because i don't know how to google and don't know there's a colorized version of it Mm -hmm. uh and so they rate it a four out of ten and it gets knocked down meanwhile this new shitty indie movie uh low budget horror movie came out and their director and actors and everyone they know has went on there and rated it 10 out of 10 And it's got 54 reviews and it's like, yeah. oh, this must be really good. <laughs> and so the movies are either a, a, a 10 out of 10 yeah. or once you start getting real reviews in, then it's like a, a two out of 10 and a four out of 10. Yeah. Yes. No, you're, you're spot on. It's, it's all user-based and, and there's, I mean, let's face it today's day and age, there's a lot of fucking trolls out there. So there's probably people that go on just to be an asshole. So the budget of this, I don't think, is going to be a guess to anybody, but it's about $114,000, which in today's money is a little bit under a million. So it was still, it's considered a low-budget movie back then. This is obviously directed by the George A. Romero, and he is most known for his, um, the, 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 whole, the whole reason we're doing this, this Summer of the Dead, is because of him. So he's the zombie master. We'll touch that. Touch, well, we will touch it. We'll, we'll get into it in a minute here. Uh, he's, he also does and has quite a few other good movies. I mean, Martin is legit. Monkey Shines, The Crazies. Uh, he's, he's had a, quite a number of horror movies under his name. This was also written by George Romero as well as John Russo. John Russo is most notable for, I mean, he's a creator of one of not only the greatest zombie movies, but one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, which is Return of the Living Dead. And again, we'll touch on that more in a minute. This stars Dwayne Jones as Ben. He didn't have a very, I, I would say, and, and again, we're going to get into a lot of these details. We're going to do this a little bit different just because of the, the iconic status of this movie. But there is only a handful of people, what, two or three of this movie that were actually cast and paid. The rest of them, as we'll find out, were extras. Hey, we'll give you 25 bucks if you be an extra zombie. And 
producers and basically backers of it as well. But Dwayne Jones was cast and paid and he starred as Ben. He, he, he was in a few other movies, Vampires in 1986 to Die For, Fright House. Judith O'Day was Barbara. She was in the October Moon franchise as well as Hole in the Wall. Um, virtually everybody else after that was a part of the film as either a backer or some sort of, for the most part, some sort of a producer. Um, except actually the uh, the 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 actor that paid uh, oh god Tom Tom no yeah Tommy right Timmy Tommy Tom Tom he he was cast because he he was he looked good he was a, a good looking young man uh, so they did cast him I think he was literally the only other one that actually got a decent amount of money for it's it. his only it's his only film. Right, yeah. I think he went on to be like a chiropractor or something. So Yeah. Um, Carl Hardman was Harry. Marilyn Eastman was Helen. Um, they were real-life husband and wife, which is pretty cool. And their daughter was a real-life daughter. And he also was the producer, one of the producers. And Marilyn Eastman actually was the, the – kind of responsible in part for the makeup and effects which was pretty cool with that so a and, lot of people that were cast worked on the film as well they had like multiple roles independent film man i mean yep. you got to do pull your own weight and the last one we're going to talk about tibu this is going to be familiar with you and jerry herring i have to ask you this have you ever seen or heard of flesh eaters from 1988 from 1988 i believe it was 88 right I think it was. Yes. No. There, there was, there was a flesh eaters of '66, I think maybe. Uh, or no, uh, that one yes. was Night of the Flesh Eaters, wasn't it? That was Night of the Flesh Night Eaters the, yep. because that's one of the reasons we have the name Night of the Living Dead. Right. In the, in the whole public domain thing, there's actually a movie called Flesh Eaters from 1988. So the last person I want to talk about is Bill Hensman because he is a fucking G. I, I think that when people talk about this movie. He's one that doesn't get enough love, um, partly, in fact, because he kind of invented the, the, the zombie shamble, I guess you'd call it. And I'm sure Jerry's got some notes on that as well. I see you looking down. Uh, so I'll let you fill us in on that in a minute. But I love him because he sets the tone of the movie. He's the very first character uh, zombie that you see. And he also directed and starred in Flesh Eaters, which we actually covered on the show. And it's one of my all-time favorite, I would say, like, shitty B-movie zombie movies. It's, it's a fucking gem. If you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend uh, you seeking that out, Jerry. But Bill Hensman starred as, in air quotes, zombies. So that's all I have as far as with the, um, I would say, you know, the the... the production part of the movie and we can kind of go around and we'll start with our guest as far as like your initial thoughts maybe fill us in if you can remember the very first time you saw this movie and and what it means to you and uh who uh i probably saw this for the first some time sometime in the mid 90s it was probably on tv probably like a tnt monster vision kind of deal uh, before like Joe Bob took over, uh, I used to watch the OG Monster Vision, where they mostly just showed old black and white horror movies. Um, 
And when I was younger, I didn't really care for the movie. I've never been a huge zombie genre fan. Um, but as I got older and I was digging more into what are these classic films and I, I have a huge love for black and white film, I always have. Um, and so going back and watching it as like a teenager and being able to, to actually have a better understanding of it, I loved it. Um, I love how raw it is. I love the way it's shot. It's, it's in retrospect now, one of the most important films of the horror genre ever for multiple reasons. But seeing as a kid didn't really do anything for me crazy. Um, even back then, I did like black and white films. But zombies just never did anything for me. The movie, I, I, I loved like the Wolfman and I loved them. And I loved like uh, the thing from another world and like the older Harryhausen films. But for Night of Living Dead, I just didn't really care for it. And it, it kind of shows the evolution you have as you get older and how the older you get rewatching certain films from your childhood is either a, Oh, that did not fucking age well, or B wow. My stupid childhood brain could not comprehend hmm. how fantastic this movie was. Hell yeah. What about That's you? Like, um, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't remember the first time I saw the movie. It might have been like there, there's been a lot of similarities uh, getting thrown out here. I used to watch Monster Vision as well. That's one of my biggest influences. And Joe Bob is the guy that got me into horror. I did watch it before he was on as well when I was a kid. But once he took over as the host, that's a whole different story. Um, Night of the Living Dead was like exactly I'm going to I'm going to echo you. It wasn't until I got older and, 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 and really started appreciating filmmaking especially independent filmmaking, what this movie actually was and acknowledged or learned about was educated on how this movie impacted the horror genre and independent filmmaking in general. Uh, th th this was a movie made in, is this the first black and white film on the Joe Blow Horror Show, I have to ask? Yes. Okay, so this is a film, sir. Um, that we're watching. <laughs> Touche. Touche. I'm going to take a sip of my beer with my pinky up. You need to. You need to take a sip of that. I'm going to take a sip of my gas station uh, top shelf shit. Um, no, but uh, it wasn't until I got older and, and I've always loved the original Texas Chainsaw. I've always loved the original Evil Dead. Those are my two favorite horror films. And a lot, a lot of that has to do with the backstory and how raw and just passionate these people are about making their vision come true and they just go for it and they'll they'll they're so creative with the ways they go about it night of the living dead comes from the same ilk it was shot on black and white because it was just cheaper it's not like a, an aesthetic decision it just happened that way and i think that that elevates the film even though it and it even even more so because of it, it wasn't even like a, a an aesthetic choice. It's just something that they had. It's like Romero's like oh, I gotta do this. You could see the amateur. Oh, someone had a, a quote about it, uh, and I got the quote from um, James Rolfe, who said that though the flaws in the film are 
budgetary. Oh, I've heard of this before. The flaws are the, budgetary. The virtues the are visionary. The virtues are visionary. That's right. And I heard James Rolfe quote it. Uh, James Rolfe is the angry video game nerd, and he's oh, got a running commentary That's right. Track. I told – so before the show, uh, Tibu and I were talking, and he was saying something about that, and I was like, dude, I was like, wait a second. I swear Jerry just mentioned this guy. So, yeah, you, I got to check this guy out for sure. You guys both mentioned this James Rolfe guy. Type – everyone go to YouTube. Type in – monster madness yeah find his first one that's called the history of horror go and start from and, the beginning. and yeah. watch it. It, it it his knowledge of horror and just the way he presents stuff is very entertaining it's it's so good and james roff has done a lot when it comes to night of living dead you i mean besides covering the entire series and reviews he's done he went to the location of the cemetery yep. he's actually done a full commentary for the movie that is highly insightful and is a lot more interesting than watching uh the 40th anniversary documentary for the night of the living dead which was boring as hell by the way yeah so james james Rolfe is one of my biggest inspirations i love that guy to death uh, i've been a fan of his since like 2007 or 8 um he's he's the man dude but yeah night of the living dead is something that that came came into my wheelhouse later in life for appreciation's sake, Bostuna, you're the zombie fanatic, man. You're like kind of like Jerry. I'm the one. I also kind of not big on the zombie subgenre, but I do think a lot of the uh, some films in it are like just masterpiece level films. How did you get into Night of the Living Dead? So first, I got to preface this with some some of it's going to be redundant, but I, I, with, with uh, Jerry being on, I feel like I need to give a quick little recap. So uh, first off, I, I want to say, regardless of what comes out of my mouth next, Mr. Jerry Herring, I've got a little spot for you in my heart here. And I'm going to get a pee-pee whack from all of my other fellow podcasting <laughs> buddies out there. But I will say that I have a hard time getting into black and white movies. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I tried revisiting in the last couple months, the cabinet, of Dr. Caligari, and I could not get more than like, 15. well, let's separate black and white from silent. Well, oh, yes. Right. Yes. I, I, and I didn't I, mean, I feel like that's a different distinction. You're right. It is. It's so you're right. I only brought that up because that was the last one I tried to get into, but Part of it too is, is, you know, if I'm, you know, backing into a corner here and I'm, I'm giving myself an excuse, which is an excuse. I was into horror at a really young age and then I fell out of it going into college because, you know, the joke is, is, you know, beers, beers and pussy, man. I mean, if I'm being blunt, <laughs> sorry if I offend, but I'm just being hundred percent honest here. And I did not get back into horror until probably the mid Oh, odds? What, what, what the hell are the early 2000s called? Odds, it was, just, it was awesome when it was just 80s, 90s or whatever. Now it's like, oh, it's yeah. Odds. So the odds, yeah. mid-odds. And I just – because I didn't really – wasn't in movies or anything then. So I was, you know, going to the theater to watch all the Saw movies and, and, you know, all these other ones. And then I tried getting back into some classics because – Jerry Herring, what you said earlier was 100% me growing up. Monster Vision and Joe Bob. I remember watching all those old scary movies and being scared shitless from the Wolfman or whatever, but now I can't get into them. And 
I, I know half the people probably just were like, fuck this guy and turn this podcast off. But um, let me, let me kind of regroup here real quick and get into this. So I first saw this movie in, it's, I'd say the mid nineties. And I don't want to get too much into the 1990 remake because that is actually what started my obsession with zombies. Uh, so I actually saw the Savini remake first on Joe Bob. It was a Joe Bob show. I think it was like in 95. Um, that's what got me into it. And then I seek this one out and I've always loved this one. So backpedaling all the way back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this is a masterpiece and the black and white, I, I can overlook that. And maybe a lot of that's for nostalgic reasons, but zombies were the first thing that got me into horror movies. And this movie is, is one of them. And I remember my favorite story was we moved out of my grandparents' house into my, my mom. My parents divorced when I was like, like two years old. So we got our first real house and we had a basement and I was probably, I don't know, eight, eight or nine years old. And the basement was all set up. It was a den. I had a little brother and little sister, but they're too little to be, you know, doing whatever. So I would spend my weekends where my uncle owned a family video. I don't, Jerry, do you have family videos or did you have them back out that way? Or is that more of a, yes, one? you did. Okay. Yeah. So my uncle owned a family video and every Friday night, it was the same thing. Mom would pick us up from school. Uh, we'd go to family video. I'd pick out a regular Nintendo game, which means I'll whoop your ass at any retro game. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So you will I, literally five year olds can beat me in Nintendo games. It doesn't, dude, it doesn't take much cold. Go off on a side tangent. <clears throat> the Nintendo games are a hundred times harder than any fucking PlayStation four game. I'll tell you that. Um, but so I would go to family video. We'd rent a uh, video game and I'd get a rent a movie. And I, I remember renting like the Omega man with Charlton Heston and all these movies and I'd go and sit in this basement and I would spend like my whole weekend down there. I was, before I got into sports, I was just a chubby, fat, overweight nerd that did nothing but drink mellow yellow and eat fucking Doritos and play video games and watch movies. And I remember just sitting down there and just basking in the glory of like Joe Bob and TNT, uh, Monster Vision and what was that, TBS Up All Night or whatever they had. Yeah, it was, yeah. Dude, loved it, loved it. So I've always had a thing for zombies, zombie movies, and especially George Romero and Night of the Living Dead. I wanted to say, on um, as far as uh, was it Doug Jones? That's that's the actor that plays Ben, right? Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. Doug Jones is the fucking Pinhead. Fallen in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So I was like, where do I know that from? Oh, that's Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley's Pinhead. Oh, that's Doug Bradley. Bradley. Yep. Yeah. There is a Doug um, Jones. Who's Doug Jones? Ah, I don't know. Doug Jones or gone to history. No, um, I, I, I'm not going to go too far into it, but but I do find it interesting that uh, oh no, yeah, okay, we'll say we'll save that conversation for later in in in, in the episode. I just wanted to Dwayne Jones or Dwayne Jones. Damn it, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, his casting is important in this film. It is. It is. And I've got a special section. I, I, I got a couple of really small and, and Jerry just jump in 
anytime you want to say something or add something. When uh, we get to that section, I definitely have something I want to uh, say. Okay. Um, but on what we're talking about with like the budgetary thing, one thing that I do like about um, independent filmmaking, low budget filmmaking, especially uh, 80s and before is restrictions breed innovations. There's a reason why the original Star Wars trilogy is better than the prequel trilogy because there were restrictions he had to meet to make the Star Wars original trilogy. With the prequel trilogy, he had no restrictions. He had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. He could CGI everything and spend as much money as he wanted to. So when you have a film like Not a Living Dead that has all these restrictions and has to find inventive ways to to do certain effects or get around certain things, you know, and the film in like black and white, it ends up breeding this innovation that in turn makes the movie better and makes it work as a classic from then forward. You're 100% right because you have to be so much more creative when you don't just have a fucking blank checkbook to do certain things. And yeah, you're, you, that's, that's spot on, spot on with that. I will say, however, throwing Samuel L. Jackson from some crazy skyscraper is pretty badass to see. I saw it in theaters. I don't know. I was a kid when those uh, movies came out too, so I, I love it all. Uh, but I agree. What, wait, what movie was that? Uh, that was, was episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, oh, I was thinking of. I'm so, I'm so. Vapor, he's like ultimate power, and he fucking throws Samuel Jackson with lightning force for forever into the distance, into death. No, but uh, I agree with that sentiment though. That yes, independent filmmaking has to rely on what they have around them. Uh, Robert Rodriguez uh, wrote a book about this. Um, I forget the title of the book, but if you just look up Robert Rodriguez and see his bibliography, he's, he's got a, a book about how to be an independent filmmaker. And one of his key things is use what you have around you. Um, when, he, when he made his first film, El Mariachi, he had a guitar case and a tortoise. And guess what? Those things end up in the film. Whenever George A. Romero wanted to make Night of the Living Dead, he found a fucking house they were going to knock down and said, let us film in there and then knock it down. So they got a fucking free house that they could just, you know, use however they wanted and do whatever they wanted to. The resourcefulness that, that Jerry's talking about, it can only be bred when you, when you have those restrictions, you, you can't like he's, the, the car blanche to do whatever you want. It's like, it could be cool, but man, the, the, the product at the end of the day, no doubt, man. I'd rather watch A New Hope. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I do love the prequels for my own reasons, but I'd rather watch A New Hope. Just a couple small other trivia things I have here before we move on is this is one of the most successful independent films ever when you look at the budget to what it grossed. And there's a sad story in that with the public domain, which we'll get into as well. But it grossed about $250 million in today's, today's money. So that's obviously, you know, hundreds of times more than the budget. Barbara was, okay, so 
I'm going to typically, Jerry, we save this for the end, but I'm going to say that, and, and I think I've already tipped my hand in previous episodes that this, these are like my favorite fucking movies ever. So this movie is a masterpiece, but if there's one thing that irks me with it is Barbara's character. And <laughs> well, and, and we'll, I'll say it was fixed if you will, in the, in the Savini remake, but she's actually written to be a more charismatic and stronger independent kind of woman, which is actually funny because in nine, sorry, I just bumped my mic. I, I just get excited, man. I've, I got a, it's a good thing. I'm not wearing sweatpants right now. Otherwise it'd just be some massive chafing. But anyways, um, <laughs> 1968 is also a significant year because that's when Rosemary's baby came out and there's a dichotomy between these two because you have, um, you know, the main star of that being a strong, independent, charismatic-ish lead. And then you have what was written to be Barbara and Romero and the producers liked her more um, kind of like, like scared, you know, kind of lost catatonic type woman. And that's the only thing that kind of, I, I just, I didn't like that part. I, I wanted her to be a little bit of a different character, but. Um, okay. So I understand that for many people say that, but I actually do like it simple for the fact that if, if she did not have that character in this movie, you would kind of think it's kind of weird that none of these people are like shutting down and going crazy. Right. Like, so her being there represents a, a facet that lets all the other characters be more on their shit than everyone else. Like, they know she's useless. You know, she is in shock because of everything that's going on. And it allows them to not have to play that character. So it's her character is sacrificed for that stereotype so that the other ones can play different stereotypes and breed a more diverse cast of characters. You're right. You're right. Because they, they do need, I mean, if you look at like filmmaking 101, you need to have like the spectrum of emotions, if you will. And you're right because they do need to have, well, they do need to have that character rather than have, a couple strong characters like Dwayne and then Barbara. Um, so, I mean, you're right. Again, that's just a small nitpick for, you know, me personally, I guess as well. Well, I'll, I'll, well also in 1968, 2001, a space odyssey came out and boss tuna knows that I look at things from a cosmic bent and look, let me just say the cosmic indifference in this movie the bleakness of this movie's finale, it's all bleeding in. And what is the supposed instance that causes this zombie outbreak where the dead rise and feast on the flesh of the living? It's radiation from space. Well, from never space. confirmed. Supposedly. Point yeah. that out. I never know, confirmed. It I'm is sorry. interesting, even though it is. Uh, have you ever thought about the similarities of this movie and Plan 9 from Outer Space? No. <laughs> I've never seen Planet Nine from Outer Space. But Planet Nine from Outer Space, the story of Planet Nine from Outer Space is, is aliens come to Earth and they raise the dead and create 
zombies to uh, to help you know take over the planet. But, well, but Ed, the, Ed Wood was always ahead of his time. It, 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 it's he's he's he, the, he really he was. was. He's the quote unquote laughing stock, but the guy was a fucking visionary man. It's kind of he kind of fucked up. He went out there and did it, but. Yeah. But I always thought that that was kind of funny because in Down to Living Dead, you have the, the one possibility they give you for what could be causing this is radiation from an alien source is bringing the dead back to life. And in Plan 9 from Outer Space, it is an alien source that brings the dead back to life. Romero might have been inspired by this, by, uh, by Ed Wood's film. Sounds like he was inspired by Army of the Dead. I'm just kidding. What? I haven't seen that it. Was, that was, I have, I'm not that wasting was a, two and a half hours on a Zack Snyder's zombie film. Joke. It was a terrible I'm joke. Totally, I'm totally going to watch that movie, but I just haven't seen it yet. I did love it. I will say I did love it, but I love Zack Snyder. Actually, I we're, we're going way off topic here. Jerry Herring, what did you think about 2004 <laughs> Dawn of the Dead? Oh, the 2004 Dawn of the I don't like it. It, it has no soul. Like... Okay. I'm not against remakes. I like remakes, especially but especially if you do something different and you change it up in a way that because doing a shop for shop for remake is is fucking pointless. Doing a remake just because you have updated um, special effects can be cool, but you need to do something that still gives it a, a heart and soul of a movie. Sure. Certain remakes, like the Dawn of the Dead remake, uh, Last House on the Left remake, they, they have no soul to them, it feels like, to me. I swear, like, uh, there, there are certain other remakes, um, Hills Have like Eyes. The Hills Have Eyes remake, where, where you're like, okay, the, like, this has a heart to it. This has a soul to it. Like I like these characters. I I I, I really dig them. Um, and even though I don't, I don't think I've seen a Zack Snyder film I like. Um, just because I just don't. I, I, right. I think no. I, I don't like his his editing style. The way he likes to have his movies edited. Sure. A little too actiony for me. No, I, I appreciate <laughs> your 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 candor. I really do. Um, but yeah, I would know. ask real quick. Being a fan of black and white films as you are, uh, what do you think about the Psycho remake? Nineteen ninety-eight. Gus Van Sant. You oh yeah, that is the you most pointless remake <laughs> in the entire world. If the you're gonna remake Psycho, if you're going to remake Psycho, find some new way to do it. Because Tarantino needs to remake Psycho. Oh, no, because then it's just going to be fucking Norman Bates <laughs> rubbing women's feet. Oh, Jerry and I have had a lot of uh, correlations tonight, and then we just had two major uh, uh, divergences. I like Zack Snyder, and he don't, and I like the Psycho remake, and he don't. I don't find any – I just don't have – I'm entertained by it. I have no qualms with it. I watch it, and I'm just like, Vince Vaughn, you're doing it. I like this. This is cool. I like Vince Vaughn as an actor. I just think – it's a pointless remake. It doesn't like doing a shot for shot remake to me is the most pointless fucking thing in the world. I, respect, I, I do respect that sentiment though. I, I see, I do see like if someone did remake evil dead and they remade it shot for shot, 
uh, I don't know. I might like it, but, uh, but, but, but I understand where you're coming from. It's like, dude, come on, do something a little, just give me something else with this. You're going to yeah. remake so, have a vision for it. For instance, we can shit on the nightmare on Elm street remake all we want, but at I, I like least it. they I, tried something different. different. You're right. Even if they failed, they at least had the balls to try right. something different. I do also think that homeboy that played um, Freddy Krueger, uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. He's, he's think, stud. Yeah, I think he could have – I haven't seen the film. I've just heard things. So I'll say based on what I've heard, I think he would be a good Freddy Krueger. Um, I love him in Watchmen. Yay, Zack Snyder. But uh, – <laughs> Uh, that that's actually the role that makes me think he he would be able to pull off some kind of intimidating character because he plays a, he did fine. It wasn't really his fault. It was it, it was the the script for uh, Watchmen or for, no, for the remake. For remake yeah. the script one day. It was just weak. It's not like a terrible movie. It's just there's nothing because there's a scene in it that is one of the best scenes in the fucking world uh where they're in that convenience store do you remember what I, you know what i'm talking yep. about cole yep. yep that's great and the sound design for the remake for nightmare on the street is oh my god fucking superb yeah yeah no I, I i agree um i did i mean i don't want to get too far off tangent i mean welcome to the joe blow horror show we'll talk yeah, about zombies for a half hour and then we'll go on an hour tangent about <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. You talked about the um, the first zombie we see in this movie, Bill and Hanks. yeah, and uh, you know how we kind of set what the zombie walk, the classic zombie walk, would would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did not come up with that. It's he Boris well, took it from Boris Karloff right. from the 1936 movie The Walking Dead, which if you're gonna take anything from anyone take it from fucking Boris Karloff right right yeah yeah Bill Hinsman Jerry's talking about the Bill Hinsman um shamble or whatever you call it because I I know there's so many different names for zombies and 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 we're going to get into so much different stuff here but you're right it was uh borrowed or inspired by Boris Karloff so there's a few points I want to get into here before we talk specifically about parts of the movie and what we liked, I guess. Let's talk about Dwayne Jones being cast as Ben. Uh, I, I know, Jerry, you said you had some things you want to talk about this, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the reins on this one, buddy. Okay, so one, I, would, I want to talk... Uh, so this movie is, is held greatly in esteem for casting an uh, African-American in the lead role, which was not something that was ever really done in a all white person movie. Um, but I want to point out that while the conversation of, of the race commentary in this movie is, is death of the artist. It is not actually the intention of George Romero to do that. He has stated openly many times he did not write the character as any race. He casted him because he was the best actor. 
And that's where we come into death of an artist. What matters more? What the artist intended or what the audience uh, creates in their mind once they have the product? Um, and I think that's very important with this film because when the movie came out, it was all, oh, this movie is about Vietnam. Um, and, and now no one talks about it being about Vietnam. Now it's, it's all this uh, social commentary, which he really didn't do a social commentary for his zombie movies until the sequel, Dawn of the Dead. That's when he started doing social commentary. Um, so, but I don't think you can say that there's still not a subtle, um, a, a subtle look at racism in the movie uh while they i don't think it was like purely intended it's there because of the atmosphere they lived in and the actor himself uh there's conversations he had with romero where he wanted to tone his character down he didn't want his character to hit barbara because he didn't want a black man hitting a white woman because of how it could be taken and george has said many times he kind of wish he would have agreed with him and not had him slap her um, but he did get to change the character somewhat, make him a bit smarter, make him more well-rounded, uh, which turned out amazingly. And then we jump to, uh, I assume we're 100% giving spoilers on a movie from 1968. Oh, yes. Uh, a lot of people point out the racism at the end of, oh, well, the white cops shoot uh, the black man. And I actually want to point out that is not where you actually should be seeing the racism from. The racism actually comes from the character not wanting to call out to uh, the white police officers, even in an apocalypse situation, because as a black man in the 1960s, he was most likely going to be treated badly by white cops. Um, he purposely did not call out to say, hey, I'm in here, I'm alive, I'm not a zombie, or I'm not a ghoul, according to this movie, um, which is the big important thing that no one touches on. Because he is a smart man in this movie. That character is smart. He knows that he should call out and let it be known there, but he has to check it out first because it is instilled in him to not trust cops and not trust white men because it's 1960s in America. And I actually don't necessarily think that the guy who shot him, shot him because he was black. He shot him because it was a moving body that he could not see what, I mean, he saw well enough to get a fucking pop shot in the forehead but it was still just a body moving. And at that time, he most likely assumed everyone around here is dead. They've seen a burning truck. They've seen multiple different bodies it, it killed. So I don't purposely think that when people talk about, oh, it's the white cop shooting him in the head, that's what they're uh, supposed to do. You need to tackle it from the situation of our male black character is even in a situation where he has been being attacked all night by flesh-eating ghouls, he still cannot go against what he knows in 1960s America 
who call out to a white police force. And that's something that I've never gotten to talk about. I've never heard anyone talk about, and I've always wanted to bring up. And yeah. I'm glad I got to do it here. No, we were, we were talking about this as well um, all, uh, before the show, uh, Boss Tuna and I. This is something that people do not point out. You, you, you raised uh, every fact when you said this, is that Romero didn't write it, didn't write the main character uh, it, with any sort of racial implication, and he just cast the best actor who happened to be black. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to echo you the whole way, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice that the way you said it though, that um, I think that's an interesting point that he, even, even through the apocalypse of, of the fucking <laughs> eviscerating gut eating, flesh eating ghouls. He's like, well, I don't know though. I might not want to be like, Hey, I'm in here. Cause then they're going to be like, Oh, you in there, huh? You black boy. And then they're going to shoot him. Cause it's 1960s. I guess this is the South. Where does this rural, take place? Rural, rural Pennsylvania. Rural oh, Pennsylvania. it does in fact take place in Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's, oh, there's definitely racist there. <laughs> yeah. And fun fact about it being in Pennsylvania real quick, uh, because they used actual real town names in Pennsylvania, Sometimes when this was shown, they would have a thing saying that this is fictitious, especially for the newsreels, because they didn't want to have another widespread panic like what happened when Orson, Orson Welles, Welles did doing war on the war yep, of the worlds war on the radio. Worlds. Hell yeah! That would have been a that would have been a the ultimate mind fuck to live in that time, and then you turn on your radio because you ain't no one's got TVs. And then you just hear that aliens are invading the earth. Like, oh my God. I, 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 sorry, again, tangent, but I love that um, event in history. That whole idea. I've yeah. Always, yeah, I've always found it so fascinating that that happened and that people freak. Because you would freak out. You'd be like, oh my God, this is the news telling me that aliens are touching I, down. I will say and, something that might might kind of – uh, renew my horror credit touch. My all-time favorite TV show of all time ever is um, um, the My Little Pony. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I was gonna say the X Files. Now you got me all screwed up. Not the X Files. Um, oh, Outer Limits. No, not Outer Limits. God bless it, Twilight Jerry Zone. Herring. Twilight Zone. I yeah, have man. seen every single episode of the Twilight Zone multiple times. That's interesting. You have a hard time watching black and white movies, but your favorite TV show of all time is a black and white TV show. I know. It's, I'm fucked in the head. Trust me, I know. I, I just wanted to say, <laughs> Jerry fucking Herring coming with the heat in some fucking trivia bombs. And I will say that. I thought I knew everything about this movie there was to know. I got to give you credit because I have seen this movie – so people of the show, fans, and Tibu know that I do not I, – I don't do rewatches. It's just I just don't have enough time to watch movies multiple times outside of, like, my, you know, select whatever. This is one of them. I've seen this fucking movie, dude. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I've probably seen this movie a hundred times. It's one of those where I'll just throw on randomly when I'm doing something. It's public domain, so you can fucking watch it on YouTube. And I've yep. never thought about what you brought up. And it's fascinating. That whole thing that you said about 
him crawling out because every time I watch it, like inside, I'm screaming like after the 99th time, say something, let him know you're here. And yeah. you just, yeah. And, and that's, that's fascinating. I've never thought of that. So I got to, you really need to go watch uh, James Ross commentary. Stick taps. To, uh, he, he, you're going to be fucking no. Yeah. He, he brought the bombs. Go watch James Rolfe's thing, man. It's really fucking good because he, he he also brings the bombs. Damn. Yeah, James Rolfe is one of the reasons why I think about movies the way I do is the way growing up and watching Monster. I mean, he did Monster Manless for fucking over a decade, um, and he's one of the people that got me into a lot of like classic, got me back into classic horror, um, and got me to think about things in a different way. And Night of the Dead is one of those that. Especially when I was watching it this time, because uh, it's one of those movies that y- you you think you know it all, and then you watch it again, and you're just like, "Oh, well, what about this?" And this and this was not the first time I've I've thought about the ending and how that everyone sees the racism from one point when they actually need to be looking at the racism from the other point the, the that I made that it's him not wanting to call out to white cops instead of just, oh, white cop shot the black guy. It's way more deep and complicated than that. It is, um, it's, it's funny, too, how relevant that is in today. today's news. and 100%. I, I, I was going to make that point a minute ago, but I was going to ma- frame it from the point of view of the media would have you believe things are not much different right. than they were back in the 60s. But maybe, they're, maybe they aren't. I am not a black man. I don't know or a woman or, 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 uh, you might be a woman, but you're not a black woman. I don't, I, I thought he was Jesus. I'm Jesus. <laughs> let me, Jesus let, ain't that I, pretty. I, I don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes like that to that degree. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, uh, you know, the shit don't happen cause it definitely does. But the fact that in the sixties, it was prevalent, very prevalent. Um, it's it that is a very interesting take on the ending. I don't disagree with it. Uh, I think I think I think it's profound, honestly. Um, up, and I hadn't thought of it either. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, I, I was just gonna say, wrapping up the whole Dwayne Jones as Ben kind of thing. Th- there are a couple things I want to echo from you guys because I, I think it's pretty powerful and needs to be said. Pre-show, we were talking. One of the biggest things I wanted to talk about was the fact that George Romero, maybe more so because I'm just balls deep in, in, in fellow horror podcasts and whatnot, that I wanted to just reiterate what Jerry had said is there's a huge misconception when it comes to George Romero as the director of all the dead movies and George Romero, the director of Night of the Living Dead. And to piggyback on what Jerry had said, there isn't a lot of social commentary in this. If you wanted to dig really deep, you could, because he, he actually, before this, and even during this, he was doing side gigs, and he was actually making commercials for a local politician. And a lot of it had to do with, I mean, you could even say back in 67, it was the Black Lives Matter thing. He actually filmed commercials, um, and you can go on YouTube and find the commercial that he filled and it was filmed and it was something about, um, you know, every 27 minutes a black child died. So there may have been some hidden, I would say, 
social commentary in this, but as to Jerry's credit is, is none of that was at least admitted. So when people say that this movie is put on a pedestal because he wrote a script for and casted a black man, and that's just not true. He wrote the character as being white. He'll tell you that. And he literally hired and casted Dwayne because he was the best there is. Everything else is coincidence. It's coincidence that, you know, the end of the movie, there was not only just a police force, but it was a posse coming. Um, so a lot of it was coincidences, uh, or as Tibu likes to call them, a coinky dink. And one uh, last thing I guess I'd want to say with that is that further expanding on what Jerry said was is the only change with the role is that it was originally written, Ben was originally written to be kind of a, you know, an everyman trucker, like an, like an over the road kind of trucker. And Dwayne Jones in real life was a very educated man. He actually ended his career as a professor. I think it was like the New York Film Institute or something like that. Jerry might know more than I, but he was an actual Film Institute instructor, professor or whatever. So in real life, he was very intelligent. So they did rework the role a touch into his character being a lot more intelligent as well, too. So, I mean, the, the, there's we could go on and on about the the I guess the character of Ben and we probably will talk a little bit more about it but we are going to take a quick actually I'm going to ask you guys first do any of you guys want to say anything else about Dwayne Jones or Ben the character before we move um on? I think I remember uh one point I was having a discussion with my girlfriend because it was her first time ever seeing the movie and I was telling her about like the the history behind uh, ben and how you know the character was slightly changed and, and how he got the role for being the best actor and and i was explaining to her, i was like it's the same concept as ripley from alien ripley was not written as a woman it was written as a character and it wasn't written to be a like strong independent woman character it was written as a strong independent human character and it was the actress who brought that strong independent woman into it and Ben's the same thing it went from from just actually hearing the original version of what the character was supposed to be kind of just a basic boring character to what the actor then brought in and helped influence to make him that strong african-american lead that would go on decades later to be this uh reason we have the death of the artist for this movie and why we say here's why all of this didn't think so why george a. ramiro didn't write it for to to show that oh this is racist we do have to say that the actor knew and saw it because he was a black man in right. 60s America. And he did add some of that to the film. And other than that, the rest of it is just, it's in there subconsciously because that was the world they were living in. Right. Yeah, it was different times for sure. I, I will say that one thing I found very funny was 
Dwayne Jones being a smart man. He's very humble as well, too. A lot of his students, even while he, and unfortunately he died at a very young age. He's like 55 years old and died of like a heart attack or something like that. But a lot of the students that he taught did not know who he was. Very humble man. But then I think it was in the 40, the 40th anniversary. They, if you watch any interviews with them, he's very indifferent on the whole thing. It's almost like he's just like, ah, he's got no fucks to give. He's never seen another dead movie. Um, it was almost like he was just like, yeah, I was in it. You know, what do you want to know kind of thing? And I thought that was kind of funny because he was just very – a very salt of the earth, humble kind of guy. So, yeah, he he's always like, "Yes, I was in Night of the Living Dead. That's fine, but let me talk about Ganjin Hess." Okay, Tibu, anything you want to add before we move on? Um, no. I mean, I, I, I it's crazy that we've 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 gone this long. Like, this movie deserves this kind of. Uh, great discussion so i don't know uh, I'm, I'm i'm thrilled and i think we should just dive right into it we are going to be right back with the whole public domain and distribution issues of night of the living dead okay so there's you guys have probably been listening you've heard the the term public domain a few times a lot of people probably know what we're talking about with this movie, but Tibu, what, what is public domain? What does that mean? Well, that's, that means anyone anywhere can access this film. They can sell this film. They can repurpose it. I mean, it's free to the public. You can do whatever you want with it. Basically like James Rolfe did. He, he was like, Oh, I'm just going to put the whole movie on my website and have a running commentary track play over it. And I can't get in trouble because normally if like, let's say we decided to put up a YouTube video of Zack Snyder's army of the dead, we might get in trouble <laughs> doing something might. like that. Yep. Yeah. I say might with the, with, with that, that snarky, uh, snicker, but, um, yeah, we can take this film and we can just edit it however we want and sell it to whoever we want. And no one, no lawyer is going to come knocking at our door or sending a angry, nasty emails with all kinds of fake jargon in it that we don't know. You are right. And Jerry Herring, why, why is that with this movie? Okay. So this is actually not George A. Romero's fault. He got screwed in this. Um, so one of the original titles of this movie was uh, Night of the Anubis. No yeah, I was hoping you were going to touch on that. Yep. Romero. So they changed it to Night of the Flesh Eaters. And it was Night um, of the Anubis because? Uh, because Anubis was it's, the god the of Egyptian the god of, uh, It was the Egyptian god of mummification. And death yep. and, and there was flesh yes. eating and all kinds yep. of things. Yep. Yeah. So that was the first, I believe... Yeah, Worked so okay. it was Night of the Flesh Eaters, and they had the title card up with the copyright. And when they gave it to um, the guy uh, Walter Reed, he discovered that there was already a movie called The Flesh Eaters from like 1964, a couple years earlier. So Walter Reed decided to change it to Night of the Living Dead. But when they put the new title up, he forgot to put the copyright up. 
And unfortunately, in America at the time, if you did not include that copyright, your movie went instantly into public domain, which means everyone could bootleg the hell out of your shit. And unfortunately, because of that, unauthorized 35mm prints and 16mm prints were everywhere for Night of the Living Dead. So it technically should have made a lot more money, but because the guy oh, in distribution... $250 million worth. <laughs> Yeah, the guy yeah, in distribution right? correctly changed the title but forgot to add that one yeah. copyright piece. It, it went bad. I'm going to put this you on the why... spot. Do either of you know... I mean, is there... Are there other movies, I'm, I'm not going to say of this caliber, but are there other movies that we should know about that are in public domain? Or is this like the fucking, this, this is the biggest mistake of that guy's life kind of thing? Uh, I, public domain is a weird thing. While there are some good older movies in public domain, uh, none of them of this caliber. Okay. Uh, and the public domain has always been kind of a wild, wild west. If you remember growing up uh, and you went to like rental stores or, or movie stores, you would, there, there's eight different companies that put out Godzilla versus Megalon on VHS because for some reason, everyone thought it was public domain, even though it was never public domain. So there's all, so technically you know all these American VHS copies of Godzilla versus Megalon, technically they're all bootlegs because. So Toei must have been fucking sending letters like crazy. <laughs> um, Toho. Toei made Gamera. Toho oh, is Godzilla. But, um, yeah, Toho actually kind of really didn't do anything shit. about it, which is Shame weird. on you, Tibu, for acting like you know this. Yeah, which is, which is weird because after... Because now Toho treats America like we're second-class citizens. Oh, yeah. Like, I could, I, that's a whole other rant I could go on. We're not yeah, going to do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I will say. I don't know any, oh, sorry. I don't. I don't know any other public domain films uh, that that are of this caliber. No, I. Public domain. Yeah, it. You, you can find good stuff, like Jerry said, but as far as this level, no. This right. is probably the top of the the list for me that I know of. Yeah. Well, in, in 1989, they really cracked down and were like, "Okay, that's kind of ridiculous. We don't need to do that anymore." So you. Well, didn't- I, I did want to say too. Again, death to red tape. Um, death to red tape. I hate it. I hate red tape, and that's to me what this is. It's it's an example of just some minor bullshit fucking up what's right, what people should have gotten paid for. Uh, their efforts and and what they were owed to me. Um, so I don't know. It's everywhere. Red tape's everywhere. Fuck it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 sad because I mean if we we could go off on a whole tangent right now about the the long lasting effect and it, it it's there is silver lining to this because well actually I got I'm gonna pose a question to each of you. Okay, here's my question. You guys both answer it. Do you think that this movie would have received the status as we know it had that mistake not happened? Or do you think it was inevitable that it would have reached this cult status? I think it's inevitable just because, one, it was still widely seen being 
coming out a little bit before we actually started rating movies. So anyone could go see this movie. You could be five years old and go see Night of the Living Dead when it came out. I think it was, it was like later this year is when the MPAA actually came out with ratings. Correct. So anyone could have seen it and it still would have been sold to TVs stations to play on the tv station it would have still had a vhs release it would have still had all of that the only difference that would have been was romero would have been paid more from it i think it still would have been widely seen because it still would have been sold cheaply rights wise to get it out in the open everywhere you would have just not had 18 companies releasing the same movie on vhs what about you tibu I agree with uh, Jerry. I th- think this would have been inevitable. This movie's, I don't know, you can't deny it. Uh, it. It came out and it had an impact and it spawned an entire genre, subgenre of horror by itself. Zombies were not the same before this movie. They weren't the same type of uh, creature. They didn't have the same type of lore. I, think, I, I don't think that the impact of it being a public domain film was felt until later anyway way later past the point of this movie having the impact that it had so yeah i think i think this was just gonna this was the fate of night of the living dead it was just gonna be what it was i overall i i agree with you guys but i I cannot set aside the fact that this movie it had to have helped it at least with i mean I remember coming home from school. So we had a network in Northern Minnesota where I was from called WGN. It was out of Chicago. I remember coming home. Oh from yeah. School at yeah like, I used to catch that shit. Yep. I remember coming home from school at like three 30 on a Tuesday and turning that network on and seeing this movie on. So I, I think that it, at the very least it definitely helped it. But the biggest thing that really I rack my brain trying to think about is the effects of that because nobody got paid for this. I mean, I mean, they, 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 they got paid, but not what they should have. I mean, look, look at the fact that this is grossed around 250 million overall. What would that have done to not only, and again, there's, there's so many branches we could take off of this, the relationship between Romero and Russo what it would have meant for the other movies. I mean, he made masterpieces in his following movies, but what if that mistake hadn't been made and he was just, you know, fucking Scrooge McDuck with all that money? What would have happened to... What? <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Having that unlimited amount of money, or not even unlimited amount of money, he having that more money... uh would the the Dawn of the Dead movie been as good if not You're right. dead the other way? Because right. you think about um It's what you said the, earlier, really, when you know, carte blanche kind of thing. Yeah. Well, because for example, you look at uh John Carpenter. Uh John Carpenter gets thrown in to the same category as Toby Hooper and George A. Romero on, you know, with their first independent horror movies, but that's not the case with, J- with John Carpenter. We like to throw him into that, but technically Halloween was his third movie. He got paid 10 grand to make that movie. It was not 
him getting investors and putting all the the people together to it wasn't a passion make this project movie. like the other it, ones were. Correct. It was him getting paid to do a movie and him just doing a really good job. But Halloween is also a lot slicker looking because it's more professionally done. But because of him doing Halloween, he pretty much because he got paid ten grand, but he also got paid a percentage of how well the movie did. And it did very well. So he had at that point he had enough money to kind of do whatever movies he wanted to do for pretty much the rest of his life. He never really had to go into the system. George A. Ramiro also never really had to go in the system, but he had he gotten the money he should have gotten, we would have at least seen more movies from Romero in comparison to, to what we actually got from Romero. You're right. We would have. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think like, well, I mean, other, his other great movies that we talked about, Monkey Shines, Martin, the crazies, would we have seen those? Would they have been in a different capacity? But on the same side, if he had all that money, would there be other movies? I mean, would myself, Tibu and Jerry Herring be sitting here talking about, you know, movie X that Romero did in a different reality because he got all this money. I mean, you never know. It's, it's crazy to think about. It, it, it really is. Uh, well, and, be, and because of the impact this film had on the horror genre alone and, and giving, given our reality that we exist, let's, let's the alternate reality you're talking about where he had all this money and he had all this pull and leverage in Hollywood, quote unquote, I don't know what the landscape of filmmaking would be like. It could be very different. What if horror was more appreciated and more widespread? Like, who knows what could have happened? I it's I like I like the speculation, man. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's one of the weird things I always think about. But well, not always. But I mean, imagine imagine this- if Monkey Shines had the same. What year did that come out? That was in the eighties, right? Had to yeah. Uh, yeah, the crazies was in the seventies, I think. Yeah. So imagine Monkey Shines coming out with the same budget as like fucking I don't know, uh Terminator two. Oh no, that was the nineties. Ah No, Terminator oh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that Term- was like Terminator 92. was eighty four. Yeah, you're right. Well, I I'm kinda of botching my own my own thing here, but I know uh, what you I, I know what you're saying though. Yeah, imagine he had that kind of pool and, and, and like could get the, the shit he really, really, really wanted, but with that same artistic bent that he had, I don't know. I, I, I like I again, I like the speculation. It, it's I'm right. I said it before, I'm saying it again, I'm wet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. I, it's also Romero kind of always stayed away from major Hollywood. He kind of always stayed independent. Uh, and I think it was a lot of times more of a personal choice than it was money wise. Cause I mean, he fucking did creep show. Right. So. Well, he, and he, he had his own production company too. A lot of people overlooked that anchor Bay, you know, I mean, they were huge in the nineties producing all these or backing a lot of these. Uh, now, of course I can't think of a single one, but yeah, Anch- well, it was anchor Bay, right? Anchor Bay was Romero's. I thought Anchor Bay was a DVD releasing company. I I thought that too. Like I was gonna uh, say, I owned a lot of Anchor Bay DVD releases. I don't know. Uh oh, we're 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 uh, losing the plot. We're losing I'm, the plot. All right, hold on. Let's I'm, say I'll have to 
I'll have to Google it. But anyways. I, I would also like to jump on talking about this movie defining a genre, but also going off like its popularity being inevitable. One thing that I think is the reason, like I brought up that it, because anyone could see the movie when it came out, any five-year-old could go see this movie. It stuck with a lot of people because it was extremely gory for the time. It like was. there were movies before this that had a decent amount of gore in them. Uh, but a lot of them weren't seen. You look at something like at midnight, I'll take your soul, which is a Brazilian film uh, from four years earlier. It, it, it was extremely bloody and extremely uh, anti-religion. Um, and it would, it, it, my point was, is that the movies that came out before this one that are gory, the but, time of Marshall Gordon Lewis. Yes, but this is the one that made gore realistic. And making it realistic and, and having it to where anyone could go see it because, oh, it's a black and white horror movie. It's just going to be like watching a Universal no Monster movie. Yep. Yeah, but here's the thing. If I'm saying we're going to go to the drive-in in the 1960s to see a black and white horror movie, your mind is instantly going to go, oh, well, we can take the five-year-olds. That's like right. the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein. And then you get there and you, you're seeing these horrific scenes in the 1960s. It's going yeah, like to fucking, stick with you. Eyeballs sticking out of fucking meat faces and fucking people getting their guts ripped out and flesh chew, like getting just stripped from bone. Hell yeah, man. And a child not yes. only killing its mother, but then being killed itself. Like, Oh fuck yeah, dude! That the the <laughs> okay. Do we need to do we need to dive into the movie a little bit? Like like in a minute, in a minute. I have a couple okay. interesting to to piggyback of what you guys were talking about there. The, when you're talking about the eyeballs, you must be talking about the the body that was at the top of the steps. Yes, yes. They use ping pong balls for those eyes, but it looked pretty good. You couldn't tell, could you? No. Also, I, I love that shit. One of the backers of that movie was one of Romero's buddies who was a local and he was, he was a butcher. So that one scene where the zombies eating the liver, that was like a raw pig liver. And when, when the whole thing, when, when um, the truck starts on fire and they're peeling stuff off the bones or whatever, that would never have happened if you didn't, that's again, what Jerry said about, not having a budget, you have to get very creative and you would not have a lot of that stuff if it wasn't for this movie and the way that it was done and having this butcher that gave bones and pig parts and all that kind of, I mean, it was, <laughs> you're right. I mean, that's, I did read, read uh, that, that it was very graphic for its time. The fucking sinew and evisceration on display in Night of the Living Dead is legendary. And it's not, it, it, again, we, we're talking about the racial implications and what, what the audience took from it later, but also guys, gals, the gore. It's the fucking, the gore you get in this movie is like top notch for a black and white movie shot in the 60s, granted, but it's like, this, this is like next level. And the, the imagery alone is, I know this sounds fucked up, but it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful imagery. 
throughout the entire film, especially when it gets into, you know, the gorier parts. And the at least score, in my the opinion. score was phenomenal. Even though most of it was stock, it was it very fits fitting. So well. It was very yes. fitting. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Uh, it's iconic. It was. And Jerry, I, I, what you brought up was actually one of the last main things I wanted to touch on was the iconic status and what we'll just go ahead and call the birth of the zombie as we know it today. Yes, because uh, before this, there were zombies in horror movies before, but they were the uh, Haitian zombie. They yep, were voodoo, uh, type. voodoo which what? if you what? don't... If you don't know, um, a voodoo zombie is, is very much different. It's more akin to a slave than it is a monster. Uh, they have a belief that um, if you kill yourself, you can be... So one of the, the really actually racist thing about zombies is uh, they when they were being taken to be taken to go work these plantations as slaves the life was fucking horrible and they actually wanted to kill themselves, but they were thought that if you killed yourself, you came back as a zombie who would have to work forever as you are now an undead immortal. I'm going to interrupt you real quick because I want to point out to our friends listening. And if, if do you have shutter, Jerry? Do you? Yes. Okay. Have you seen zombie child from 2019? I believe. It might have been 2020. I have not. That is a good movie if you're looking for the voodoo version portrayal of a zombie. So Zombie Child on Shutter, check it out. It was from I think it's from 2020, but that's right in the wheelhouse of what Jerry's talking about. I, yeah, I love that ahead. kind of shit because the the I just want to say the voodoo zombie aspect. I think that needs to come back a little bit because. I'm not saying like slaves, like have black people be slaves in, in movies. I'm saying, yeah, I know boss tuna doesn't like this type <laughs> yeah, of zombie, but kidding. listen, I'm a Cajun. I'm from Louisiana and voodoo is our shit. And you know what? The idea of these fucking undead immortals, like Jerry said, but you like control them and you can have them do your bidding to go out and fucking commit whatever atrocity you desire. That kind of shit runs deep down here. That's part of our legends, our lore. That's that's heavy and it's prevalent. So for me, I like that kind of zombie. Have you ever seen the uh, Universal Monsters Mummy movies? Not the first one with Boris Karloff, but the three that came after that um, that had Lon Chaney Jr. as the mummy? No, I have not. That's basically what it is. It's a slasher film where it's just this person sending the mummy to choke out people oh shit that, that it's, it's basically what it is but i've watched um, i've watched james cover it on a uh, monster madness but i've never actually went out and uh, watched the yeah, films they're, myself they're all like an hour long you can knock all three of them out instead of watching army of the dead um, <laughs> shots fired um, i appreciate that but uh when it comes to the movie we give the most credit to for bringing the zombies into horror movies we have to look at white zombie with bella lugosi and that is more of the slave zombie the voodoo zombie and what romero did is he changed the game on zombies by 
taking away that slave ownership and making it more of a actual monster. And they sat around and thought, well, what, what can we do to make these undead uh, ghouls? Because they were not zombies in the original film. Or they weren't called that. They were called ghouls in the living dead. Um, and they thought, well, the worst thing would be cannibalism. So they made them be cannibals. And then they thought about, well, how do we stop them? And, you know, the head trauma thing. And doing those two the well three things changing it from voodoo to undead monster uh making them be cannibals and uh the head trauma part to as a way to kill them created what is now the modern zombie in not in just movies but modern zombie period yeah you had you look at uh what was it uh, less than 10 years ago when the guy in Florida got the oh, bath salt zombie yeah, thing. The, yes, yes. You I know, we that. called him a zombie because he was eating the flesh of another person. Yeah. And that's George A. Romero. Yeah, and yes. without, 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 without Romero, without Night of the Living Dead, the phenomenon of Walking Dead, the comics, and the show would not even ever exists like nothing it would never be a thing. nothing would be yeah there's no zombie as we know it today that would be there without without george a romero yeah no that's a great point jerry yeah so we I, wouldn't I, have lucha fulci's zombie without yeah. <laughs> zombie too yeah i wanted that movie what's that we need that movie oh yes so i i know i was shitting on black and white earlier and, and I sounded like an asshole, but I was trying to remember, you were talking, it reminded me, you are talking about the, the voodoo zombies. About two or three weeks ago, I watched King of the Zombies from 1941, and I will throw that out as another good zombie movie in respect with what Jerry was saying earlier with the voodoo zombie movie. And... Yeah, I mean, King of the Zombies, nineteen forty-one. Check it out. It's it's it's, you know, it's 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 your typical voodoo zombie. But it's it's funny because there's I don't I don't want to get off on a side tangent, but there is another black character in there that was really good, and my buddy and I had a good conversation, similar to what we were talking about tonight. But King of the Zombies, nineteen forty-one, voodoo zombie ish. Check it out. So yeah, that's a good flick. Oh, look at this fucking dropping bombs. You've seen it. All right. I was going to say, I have yeah, not, but I want to now. Yep. I, I guess a couple things I just wanted to touch on with the zombies. And we talked about this recently. So, Jerry, just to fill you in real quick here. Uh, it was about a month ago, a month and a half, we did a Fireside Chat bonus episode on Fido. First off, have you seen Fido? Billy Connolly? Yes. I think it's, I think it's pronounced Fido. Fido. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Inside <laughs> joke. Anyways, how uh, we talked about the significance with that movie and the fact that zombies had agency. And one of the things that's always a good conversation. So I'm in I'm a part of a small chat group with like the ultimate of the ultimate zombie nerds. And some of the conversations and I'll say arguments that go on in there are just laughable. But a lot of people forget in 
so so let me backtrack here and say that the zombies in 1968 george romero do you think they show any type of agency because they they use i mean let's face the fact that they use tools they're a lot more with it smarter yeah 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 i don't know what term you'd want to use but you know from more intelligence i i would say they have more agency than zombies that most ever other zombie yes because even from the very beginning when bill hensman smashing that window and you know he breaks that window and almost fucking knocks out george romero in the back seat with the rock (laughs) using a rock to break in the other movies or the other zombies are using rocks to break out the headlights on the truck they're using clubs and they're using tools to get in the thing that I find funny with this is a lot of people forget and they think that any zombie, if you look at like, I don't know, like warm bodies or any of these other type of zombie movies where zombies have a little bit more agency or intelligence to them, you get these people that are like, well, uh, actually uh, the Romero zombies are, are more shambling. <laughs> but people forget that this first movie you know they're using tools so i'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on that or if well, you've just i'm gonna let i'm gonna let jerry go ahead i, I do want to mention day of the dead uh only Bob? because of Bob? yes uh i think i think the idea is revisited but but uh i i i do agree that the shambling I think Romero kind of put himself in that too but land of the dead i, I mean we could keep going there, I'm gonna let jerry yeah go. so we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but you got Bub in Day of the Dead. I know. Uh, you get the sorry. one zombie with the, the the nerdy zombie with the glasses that finds the wall in Dawn of the Dead, and then you have Big Daddy and Land of the Dead. So he's yeah. got something in all of them, but most people associate the quote-unquote Romero zombies with the dumb shamblers. So anyways, Jerry, Maybe I'm sorry the- to keep chatting. but So i think people that associate it with the dumb shamblers are completely wrong um yeah the more important part would be is that one they do show intelligence because they can still use tools they're still grabbing things that they know they can use to he grabbed a rock to break through a glass that is clearly showing intelligence that is clearly showing more than just running off basic instinct. Not only that, the more important part is the attacking of the truck lights because they are they show fear. They are afraid of fire. 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 But also that the goes brain, back into the old school, like fucking the Jerry type movies. I'll call them. Yes. Yeah. Fire. Back. Yes. Um, but they <laughs> hold on, boss tuna. Hold on, just say fire bad, fire bad. I, I, I can give you my Arnold yes, Schwarzenegger. Yes. No, yes. the fire is bad. No. <laughs> I love it. Um, but uh, them breaking out the tail lights is important because it's not that they are dumb and think the taillights are exactly fire because if it was fire they would immediately move away yeah but their brain is still signaling that something bright like that could be fire so when they get close to it and it's not hot 
they go ahead and break it so that they don't have to worry about it. Like, they run away from fire, and they turn off lights. That's why when he turns on the lights in the house, that doesn't actually stop any of the zombies from coming. Because he thinks they're scared of light, but they're not scared of light. They're scared of fire. They destroy the lights because a primitive part in their brain is triggering that connection, which means it is showing thought. What you're saying is that the zombies can't handle the heat. They need to get out the heat. That is why you do not see a zombie in the kitchen in this movie. Uh, You do not see one uh, doing a meal prep. They don't Uh, cook an omelet. They not a single omelet is made. They literally only know Shame. how to pick food off the ground and shove it in their mouth. Yeah, <laughs> off so, of other people. <laughs> I have a theory about this because I, out of my zombie nerd nerd nerdum and research, I think that the biggest misconception that comes with this, I'm going to blame it on the walking dead, which I will outright say I am an apologist because I still love the walking dead, but love what you love. I am, I am fine with admitting the fact that if you look at the population as a whole, what they know about zombies is going to come from the walking dead. You can't argue the fact that that show was, you know, I mean, it was, it was, the biggest thing for many, many years. It was like the number one show on cable for five years or whatever it was. And they always would talk about the fact that they, you know, focused and they, they, they literally had a zombie school and they ran it all off of the Romero zombie. The problem is, is the zombies in that are what people would associate the Romero zombies were, which is not true because although the zombies in Walking Dead were the sh- the slow shamblers. They had zero agency. There was nothing to them. And the zombies, the Romero zombies, if you will, were the ones that had agency, like Jared was saying. They could use tools. They had a little bit going on up there as well. So I think that a lot of the misconception comes with the fact that people will you know, go from you know, the Walking Dead be like, well, this is, you know, hundred percent inspired by George A. Romero. So I'm glad that you guys were able to see that as well too. And that I'm not kind of off on my own Island, but yeah, these, these zombies do have some sort of agency there. There's something there. And, and it's a thread that runs through all of the movies as well too, from the very first one to the last one. So I think it's a very unique thread as well. Uh, I, I, I think that this movie gets overlooked for the fact that, these zombies do have, like we've been saying, agency. And man, I wish that was explored. Well, it is. There, there are films that explore that more. But uh, I like, I like when films do explore that. Let me say that instead. Yeah, uh, we are running long, um, quite a bit. There, I, I should have guessed. I was like, yeah, hour and a half. You know, whatever. But I mean, we're talking about Night of the Living Dead, so. Um, if we want to get into like some specific parts of the movie you guys wanted to chat about, or I actually, let me back up and say, do you guys want to, is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, I know we've gotten really detailed and, and as my buddies were saying, I mean, we are fucking shoulder pads deep into this shit here. 
that's a sex move, by the way. So I Anyways. do have notes on the movie that I want to bring up. Do it. Let's go, brother. Okay. <clears throat> so, because actually, my first note was about the intelligence of the zombies in the movie. So we already oh. covered that. All right. Um, some of these are deep. Some of these are just like, why? Um, so. <laughs> Wouldn't you be worried about setting the house on fire by torching a body that close? It looked like it was on the back porch yeah. or the back steps. Yeah. Little, little iffy there. Uh, I'm going to do these in order of how the I only, wrote them. So the only thing it'll be that, going through the movie. The only thing that got me worried is when he lit that fucking chair on fire. That thing went <clears> up. I was like, you better fucking give that thing like a, like a, like a 300 Spartan kick. Like this is Sparta. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Cause that thing was on fire. <laughs> um, so this one's kind of more deep, uh, talking about Barbara and her retelling the story of what happened to her, uh, okay. to Ben, uh, her story on the events that went down in the cemetery are very quote unquote fixed up. She knows Johnny is dead. She knows, um, that she didn't laugh and tell him to stop joking. She knows she was not going to apologize to the old man, nor did she say good evening to the old man. But her description of him grabbing and ripping out her clothes, I feel like it's her telling a sexual assault incident. It's not like how a guy would tell it. He would describe it as a fight. But for her, it was more akin to a sexual assault. And so for her being a woman in this movie who goes into shock because not only did her brother die and she watched that but she's in denial about it but she could also be into shock in a similar way as a woman who had just been sexually assaulted and or raped that's actually a very interesting take on that so do you think that there's a deeper meaning with that or do you think that <clears throat> she was just in a state of like severe shock. I, I think as a woman, the fear of sexual assault and rape is a constant fear. And I think because of that, it, it shows to sub, <clears throat> subconscious. Why is my voice going out? <clears throat> mm. she, it shows to subconsciously in her telling the story. Because she talks about him grabbing at him, ripping at her, like right. as if trying to grab her and rip off her clothes. It's how in her brain, when she can't understand that this was a undead ghoul, which she really doesn't understand at the time, but she's kind of hearing it from Ben in her head. It was just easier to associate it with the fear she's always had, which is of being sexually assaulted and raped and there's nothing in this movie to really back up this thought it's just right watching it this time the way she described it made me think of of that that sort of subtext is is like that's next level to me because i never gathered that from from watching the film and i've i haven't seen it a hundred times like boss tuna but i've seen it a, a good number of times and I never really put that together, man. But damn, like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. And, and I, I like, I like, I like the, well, I'm not saying I like it because it's like a, a good thing to happen to a woman. I'm saying 
I like that you, you pointed that out. Like maybe that's the deep seated subconscious thing that she's, you know, explaining or, or trying to go through or, or comprehend from the situation that happened to her. You know, one, one thing that I always will. So I feel like when I, I, well, how do I say this here? So we've talked about this on the show before T boo, but when I watch movies, it's almost like I can turn my brain off and in real life, I'm not gullible. I'm pretty, you know, set realistic but when it comes to movies, I turn my brain off and I just let the movie take me for a ride. And I have a lot less of a problem when it comes to, like I can overlook a lot more in a movie because I realize I'm watching a movie based on zombies. So I can overlook certain things as well. That being said, I feel like when it comes to characters' reactions, like what Jerry is saying is that I, I do think that it's hard for most people to put themselves in the position of, Oh fuck, there's an actual zombie that's trying to eat me kind of thing. So I think that it's a lot easier for, well, Oh man, see, this is what I do on the show is, is I'm so all over the place. Here, but <laughs> I hundred percent see where you're going with this, Jerry, because it's so easy to say, no, this is what it means. And this is what it means. But there's so many directors out there. And I would put George Romero on the level of like a Stanley Kubrick kind of thing where there's one thing that's on film, but it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And it's, I find it fascinating because this is a second thing that you put my fucking brain in a pretzel with when it comes with, you know, what you just told us about Barbara. And then the last one, when you were talking about, you know, or I can't say Dwayne, but Ben at the end of the movie kind of thing. But there's, there's so many ways that you can interpret movies. And I think that one thing about a movie that you can tell is really good is when people have different ways of interpreting it. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I just love that. I mean, part of what I love doing, what we're doing is just sitting back, being able to chat with people like you two and interpreting certain things. And, and I think that's oh. a fantastic interpretation Dude, and i'm the glad next you time i watch the, the next time i watch this movie i'm going to be thinking about what what, what jerry's saying and, and like watching it kind of in a just with a different viewpoint and and that yes that's i agree that's what i'm saying the, the point of like doing this kind of stuff and talking to people that that love these types of films like we do and it's just it's not just the films it goes deeper than the films right jerry's digging into subtext that's what we're doing here. Uh, at least when we watch these horror to me, especially. Oh shit. The, the, that yeah, was, I was gonna say he got excited. What music, what music they make. Yeah, that was that was Bear. He is taller than me when he stands on his hind legs. He's a huge I, it, dog. Sounds like it. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> but it also too is 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 I mean, when movies are written and directed, you don't know that that is not what was subconsciously meant to happen as well. Yeah. You know? That's that that's the thing. Ask. Let's also keep in mind, this could have also just been subconsciously done by the actress. You're, you're exactly. I mean, there's, yeah, so, there's many so many fucking layers. Tools, yeah. Yeah. Of influence that could, this all could be fucking pulling from. Yeah. I and that's what ask. I, I was going to say, that's what I do. When I watch movies, I try to put myself 
in characters positions, I try to put myself into situations and try to think about the movie that I like to watch a movie and just take the ride also. But when I'm reviewing a movie, mm-hmm. I want to put myself into it as much as possible. And if I'm putting myself in a situation, I think about how I would react in a situation, but then I also try to put myself, okay, I am this character. I have their characteristics. <clears throat> how, how, how do I feel? How would I react? And that's what I do. And that's why I can look at Barbara and go, maybe she was thinking about sexual assault. I can look at Ben and go, maybe he was thinking, ooh, I can't really shout out to white cops with guns. Right. Yeah, and some people would take what, like, some people could take what you're saying the wrong way at first without the context of what you just said. You're trying to empathize with the characters. That's all you're doing, and that's what it, that's what you should do with good characters in a good story. You're trying to put yourself in their shoes. Th- man, that's that that's awesome, and this has given me a whole new light on this movie. To be it's honest, it's given with me you. something as well too, and. Before I, I finish, uh, I need you to keep going because I'm almost there, Jerry. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I have another deep one, but I do have. Um, I love the <clears throat> added news reports. It adds yes, to the realism yeah. and the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Again, I love creativity with the fucking movie that's got no budget. Yeah, hey. I love subtle drops of information where it's just like, I know that. Uh, because of Barbara saying uh, that today was the first day of daylight savings time, and then a news report saying uh, it all started two days before the night in question that we're in, you can actually go and research, and people have, and figured out it was April 28th or whatever. Um, That's my birthday, motherfucker. Thank you. Is it? Oh, I shit. think April 28th, if I remember I read correctly, April 28th is the day that this movie takes place. I will have to wow. recheck out. I want to swear to you it, it was April. Wow. That, it, is, that makes a lot of it, sense then. It, that is crazy. I think it was April 28th. Don't Holy quote me on shit. it yet, but I'm pretty And hey, that's positive. good enough for me, man. That's good enough for me. Ross Tuna just came. Just, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. We're going for around six now, so let's keep going. No, oh, but, but seriously, though, one thing I wanted to say with that is movies that do this. So like I said, I'm a sucker. I'm gullible. I love being drawn into a movie and movies like this, even Dawn of the Dead 2004 did this. And there's numerous other ones as well. These, the reason if, if we, I mean, again, I'm being redundant because listeners have heard this, but I, part of the reason I love zombies the most is because it's, one of the things that could, in my opinion, be the most realistic. I mean, if you look at what could happen to you in the horror genre, I mean, a demon coming back to life and eating you or a werewolf or a mummy, those are kind of unrealistic. But some kind of infection or zombie coming back, like when I was a kid saw- watching this, I was like, that's the most realistic. We saw it in Florida. We did. We did. And and I, I love it for that fact. And when these those th- parts of the movie that come in, whether it's the newscast or whatever, that make it look realistic, it just draws me in even more, and I'm drawn. And this movie did a really great job of that because it filled a lot of dead space. This movie was about 95 minutes long, and it didn't seem long, but the newscast and the score, they worked so well together because it filled gaps and voids 
you know, Ben's refurbishing the windows and boarding stuff up and you got newscasts playing in the background and it keeps it interesting and it keeps you drawn in. And, and I'm just a sucker for that. And I, I, I just loved it. Agreed. Harry Cooper has definitely punched his wife in the face before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is a note I have. Uh, yep. Harry Cooper Although is an she asshole. She was kind of snarky, though. She was kind of snarky well, to him. Yeah, oh, but so she it's, deserves that it's, punch. <laughs> it's it's that whole scene in the basement when he first goes back down to his basement to tell his wife about all this stuff. She actually like stands up and kind of says something to him, and the way he turns around and how quickly she sits down, I'm just like, he has beat her ass before. Yeah. She's hundred percent. Isn't she like? Uh, isn't that what's important? Being right. Like yes. she says that thing that cuts yep. that to him to his ego cuts deep because because she knows him so well that he's probably the type of guy that like he likes to be right all the time no matter what like even if he even if he's right about something being shitty he just wants to be the right yeah like oh I knew well you know what's fucked up about this movie and you know you know. Because you you heard, I didn't think about this until I listened to James talk about this. Cooper was right all along. They oh yeah, I've got I've got a note on that basement. also. They should have uh, just sat there. The Cooper, fuck right off with that shit right now. Do not try to poison our listeners' minds. That uh, was okay. That's Cooper funny because the right. very last question I had with the whole podcast was going to be that. Oh. <laughs> we're uh, okay, we're going to circle oh, back. We're I have a question back. that I also have at the very end. Okay. That, okay. That's about this movie. All right, we um, have ending questions. All right, cool. Uh, Cooper is the kind of guy who always wants to be right, but he is a coward. So as soon as you stand up to him, he, he, he can't, Keep oh, going. He's buckling. He's fumbling. He's bumbling. He's a he's a fuck. He's a yeah, fuck up. But I also want to. I wonder if uh, because they didn't write Ben's character as a black man, is that why we don't have Cooper saying anything racist, or is it because it's just low hanging fruit, or is it because Cooper's a coward Cooper and we never me. actually say that? To someone's <laughs> face because he would get his ass whooped. Yes. He would get his ass whooped. See, I, yeah. That's, yeah. That was one um, thing I was going to ask you guys about too was I, I, I was going to say, I could go another two hours with this. So I'm trying to like be really succinct with my questions and my final thoughts. But um, I guess the one thing that I would say it's a nitpick or maybe something that just provoked some extra thought in me is with Ben's character because obviously, I mean, Barbara was being erratic and she slapped him and we're in a life or death situation, apocalypse, whatever. He fucking smokes her. He doesn't slap her. He punches her and knocks her out. Whether or not she deserved it, that's a really touchy subject because of, well, he's hitting a woman. But again, she's being erratic. He needed to, well, and we can get into the whole idea of why that was out of the movie, but his character was a little bit erratic in, I guess, how aggressive he was because 
the one thing that I wanted to ask you by guys about was, is we know for a fact the movie and Romero Russo did a fantastic job of establishing the fact that Harry was, or he was a piece of shit. Cooper was a piece of shit. He was a coward. He was weak. Yeah. But at the very end, when the zombies were coming in, he didn't open the door for Ben and he was standing there and he could have went into the basement, but he ended up, you know, kind of him and Han as far as what he's going to do. But he did eventually go and help Ben. He did help him. Yeah. He, they, whatever. Ben just went off. I, I feel like he went too far. They and killed him? No, not before he killed him, when they were fighting <laughs> kind of thing. Um, oh. Because he was, you know, he, he I, I could see one or two punches because, trust me, I would have fucking yeah throw, I fed you a fucking couple fists too but he like <laughs> picked him up and punched him a couple more times i thought that was excessive so he i'm picked wondering him up. He, it was so epic i'm sorry just yeah, he, yeah it was it was excessive i thought and i'm not sure <laughs> what to think about that if that was written that way if it was ad lib because a lot of people don't realize the fact that most of the dialogue in this was kind of ad libbed it was off the cuff kind of thing. So I'm not sure if that whole scene was ad libbed and you know, you got Romero and Russo in the corner with their hand in the pants. You're like, yeah, yeah. I like it. I would say no because of it being (laughs) fighting and then being, it had to be somewhat choreographed between them. Um, But here's the thing about this movie. There are no perfect characters in this movie. They all have flaws and they're all realistic flaws. So watching Harry debate with himself on do I go and open the door or do I run down in the basement? 100% true. And then not opening, not running to help until he Ben actually comes inside and he looks at Ben in the eyes and he's just like, like you know, he's fuck over two here. people are dead now because of Ben's idea. And I like this man says is, is being extremely power hungry in Cooper's eyes and not listening to Cooper who, who is, you know, I've got this logical, rational idea. We stay in the basement, you know, we lock ourselves, which ends up being right. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> against, against Ben, who is literally also thinks in his head that he's right. And he's trying to get everyone out and escape and go to the, to the rescue area. But, he also could have just died because this selfish asshole would not open the door. Yeah. It come, but it comes down to everyone just going, and this is with every Romero zombie film. It's not always about Jesus Christ bear. <laughs> is that, that might shit. be a werewolf. That might be it, a werewolf. Yeah. Hell he yeah. might be, uh, but it, it, I'm sorry. It uh, it comes down to it's people versus people in a stressful life and death situation. That has always been a gigantic like plot and theme that is in all of the Romero films. It's so nuanced, and and I agree with you. Yes, that is people in a life and death struggle, and the way it's filmed, the way it plays out. It's exactly the way it should. The extra, I, I, I want to I wanna say that about Boss Tuna's extra pickup and punch. 
that to me, that's just part of people. He's like, fuck you, man. Like you've been saying too much shit. Right. You're right. Everything in this movie is very realistic because everybody has this idea of themselves in a stressful situation. But the reality is, is when you got fucking zombies knocking down your door, it's time to slap Mike Tyson's quote is so perfect in every situation. It's everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And everybody can be this type of person and have this type of personality. But when you're in a life and death situation and there are zombies trying to eat you, all that shit goes out the window. So I'm gonna I, harken I'm gonna harken back to Chappelle's show and change up a line of dialogue and say does Dwayne Jones have to slap a bitch <laughs> for real? Cause he does. Pretty he much. really does. We'll be right back with another one of deep thoughts with Jerry Herring. <laughs> deep thoughts with Jerry Herring. All right, Jerry, what do you got, buddy? <laughs> um, I can't blame Ben for shooting Cooper. <laughs> I would have fucking done it sooner. <laughs> I've thought about that. I have thought about that. And yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'm actually kind of torn with that. And it's different because if I had my wife and kids there, I would have fucking yeah. drug him out in yeah. the first yeah. five minutes. But if yeah. I was alone and I had a little bit more you know, I, I was a little bit more there and thinking rationally, I would have been like, all right, he's just scared. He's afraid kind of thing. But yeah, that, that I was a little bit surprised with him. Well, not surprised because he's seen the movie a hundred times, but yeah, him shooting him. I, I, I will admit I am still to this day, like, damn dude, <laughs> you shot him. <laughs> you, oh, pour that beer, pour it, pour it so <laughs> fucking hard. Yeah. I, I would have been like, I, I, I'm still shocked that he did it because it's so, I don't know, man. It's like, damn, dude, he's been a nuisance, but I don't know. It's cold. Is it cold blooded? No, no, it's not cold blooded, but I will say that in the context of the, I'm going to call it a film in the context of the film, it was genius yes. because for someone like me, I'm like, God, that's fucking in, 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 Trust me, Jerry, I'm a fucking selfish asshole, and I would, <laughs> in most cases, be fine. But I, I was sitting there like, that's kind of hard. I mean, that was a le- legit, all right, that's, you're going off the deep end. But it, 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 was, it was kind of tough. It was, it was on that border as far as justifying it for me. Because I felt like if he wouldn't have come to open the door, then, yeah, you fucking – you, you you drag him outside and let the fucking ghouls munch on him. But he did come to kind of help close the door, and he was scared with wanting to have everyone go in the basement. But taking the gun, yeah, that was... Not only taking the gun, but literally his wife came and helped, and he didn't. Barbara got up off the fucking couch for once in this fucking movie and You're did right. something. You're right. That's when she, she kind of flipped the switch and was like, all right. You I'm- know, it got her killed, but luckily she got reunited with her brother <laughs> when he <laughs> killed her. Uh, so it's just one of those things where it's just like, nah, fuck it. I would have killed Cooper a while ago. He, he was a piece of shit. 
Um, but I do love that Ghoul Johnny is the one who comes back and attacks Barbara. Uh, that's yes. Yes. perfect. Then I have your favorite note. Ben's, ben ends up in a death trap of a basement that he refused to go to earlier after everyone else has died. So no one can tell him he's a hypocrite. Right. <laughs> yep. 100%. And then, when Cooper comes back from the grave to tell him he's a hypocrite, he shoots Cooper again. And then, yeah. when Helen comes back to be like, yo, <laughs> what are you doing in the basement? He shoots her. So no one knows what Ben did. <laughs> what you gotta okay. say, boss? So we're going there. We're going there. Yeah, we're okay. going there. Okay, I agree. My with, question I agree to you, a hundred percent. By the way, <laughs> and my buddies and I, when we watched this movie, would have the same conversation, and and I feel like it was purposely put in the movie or the film, I should say, the film, mm-hmm. to elicit raise this that pinky conversation. Raise that pinky. <laughs> we would talk about: is the basement the right place to go, or is it boarding up the house? And every one of my main buddies I'd watch this with were like, no, no, the basement's a fucking death trap. And I will say that this may be different if I had seen this movie and we talked about this conversation like 30, 25, 30 years ago. Now I'm 100% on the fact that, yeah, you go into the basement and you're fucking dead because there's no exit. There's no food and water. There, There is an exit. There's not an exit. They, yes, that, there is. That was a whole thing. They said there's no exit if you go in the there's basement. A, there's a cellar door. They never said a cellar door in the movie. They show it to you. Mm, okay. I think he's yes. talking about the door that they actually have to from the house into the cellar. He's talking about that door. Oh, that door. That's fine. But there is a cellar no, door. No, that was the, the whole house. thing, though. That's why Ben didn't want to go down there is because he said if you go down there – you or no, it was actually uh, Tommy – was there's no way out. If you go down there, you're done. So my whole theory and with my friends was, is yeah, you board oh, up fuck. the whole main floor of the house and you retreat upstairs. You move all the dressers and the beds and stuff upstairs and you block that stairwell. You barricade that stairwell. And then your last line of defense is you're jumping out a window and you're fucking running for it. Me personally, I... I would, you wouldn't find me dead in that fucking basement because I would need an escape route. I mean, just think how mentally and psychologically traumatizing it would be having fucking zombies pounding on a door for 24 hours a day. Well, I'm going to say fuck Tom because he dies and there is a cellar door that leads to the outside. I, so he didn't, he didn't know the fucking, uh, well, that, the, the that might be a house. little bit different then actually. I don't agree that there is a cellar door to get out of. I don't recall them ever mentioning that. I don't remember because they did it. Ever. They don't mention it. They don't they mention it. it but I don't see. remember seeing an exit door. I did there to me. I only like, remember the one door. Cause even, uh, uh, Harry says there, there's only one door you have to protect. You're right. Right. He did say that. No, yeah, you're right. They they say that in the film, but in early or in the early parts of the film when they're approaching the house, Barbara and stuff, you see the cellar door outside. I, that may be a mistake. Then it might be, but it's there. Mm. You're um, right, though. I mean, there always is that like cellar door. So it's like one of the old ones that's like on 
the earth yeah. and it's got the doors you flip up and over. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think now, actually, if I remember. I also do that. want to point out Cole was wrong on one thing also. There is food and water down there. I, Cooper okay. Cooper mentions it. I thought that the whole reason that he was trying to go upstairs was to get food and water and Ben kicked his ass downstairs. Was like, no, no, oh, he wanted to bring room. he wanted yeah. to bring the rest of the food and water down. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Ben Ben said Ben was like I'm fighting for what's up here, and that that includes the food and shit, which, okay. yeah, the, the the aggressiveness between so between them two. <laughs> the argument over which one is right and which one is wrong, I don't think is necessarily one or the other, but both. You board up the house, and then you go into the basement with its three boards also. Because we do find out that it's 100%. The, the zombies couldn't break down that door. And there was a lot of them. And they right. could not break down the door. Because it had the so, bars on the top and on the bottom. You're right. The zombies... In the I middle. Would, I would agree with you that but the zombies are not getting in. Ben never took a moment to go and look at the door. He never entertained the idea. He never examined it. He, he never even let the possibility... Go and so the point here is not that Cooper was technically right and Ben was wrong. The point is is that neither one wanted to listen to the other's ideas. They just wanted to shit on the other's ideas because they thought they were right without examining the facts, which is something you actually see corrected in Dawn of the Dead, where they do listen to each other, they do communicate better, and they actually operate a whole lot better and the human versus human of that one comes from an outside force right. as to where this one, it is technically an Internal. outside force also because it's Cooper was there first and then Ben right. shows up, but it's more of a personal same group conflict. Yeah. I guess my, my main thing is there's no exit plan. There's no, there's no way out. And that's, I don't, I don't, I, but you jumping out of a second story uh, window when there's 50 zombies out there, they'd all be is not that much of an escape plan either. Cause if that was the case, they could have, <laughs> they could have already ran out there yeah, and just ran um, either way. I, I think it, the point of it isn't who's technically right or wrong. My hypocrite jokes for Ben was just to be funny. Um, but there is one question in this movie, and it's the most important question. This is the question all. you had. All right. Why did the body upstairs never rise from the dead? Maybe it was already dead. Maybe someone killed it. It already had its second death? Might have. Who, who did the second death? The husband, who was a zombie walking around outside. But didn't... I've thought about that. I've thought about that. Because hmm. I want to say Tommy... Tommy knew that the house was there. But I don't right. think he ever mentions if it was owned or abandoned or what. But it had to be. It couldn't be abandoned because it no. had a fucking It was super... Tank. And it was super nice too. I mean, like the table was set and everything. The, I, I've thought about that too. But if you think about it, it is one person. I, I don't think we we know if it was a female or a male. Correct? Chances I don't are, think so. Probably wasn't one person living there. I know the so. body being dragged was played by a woman. 
Yeah, it wasn't it being played by the little girl in real life, uh, Karen? I, I can't remember who exactly was, it was, but I, I know Carl Hardman's daughter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I always think that's interesting. Thing. Like with this one, like, okay, let's, because it's something that's unanswered. So it's something kind of fun to think about, you know? Right. So how did this woman get turned into a zombie? Did she, and then her husband killed her and her, her husband killed that other zombie that turned her and then killed her again. And then he ends up getting killed himself by another zombie that's walking around. Well, um, all, that, all that needs to be said is we need to make a prequel called the evening of the living dead. The evening. Where we, yeah, <laughs> the late where, afternoon. Where, in yeah, fact, were, everyone we're proud to announce we're hiring the same director and screenwriter who did the thing from 2011. I haven't seen that film, <laughs> so I don't know. The, the, the people who have seen it will get the joke. Oh, I guess it's bad. <laughs> I've, I've always thought that, so that body was so far decomposed compared to every other zombie in that whole movie. It was, it was, it was eaten. It was, it was a person that was eaten by zombies that left. Was it eaten? Oh, what if, yeah. oh, oh, what if, what if this, what if uh, the person was, died, lived in the house alone, died in the house, and died a little bit ago, so she was already kind of decomposing, and yeah. a zombie showed up and just started eating her, but yeah. the brain could not be turned on by the radiation or the virus from the zombie or whatever it is in this movie because she had been dead already for a little bit so she doesn't have to get raised from the dead that's why she looks so decomposed because she was already decomposing and then the zombie started eating her mighty fucking bold of you to assume that it was the space dust that turned them though no yeah i love the cosmic bent hashtag too dead to be become a zombie I there think that all her, I think that all her cats nibbled on her and then fled when the zombies became a thing because they what have they say your fucking sense. cats will eat your face once you die. I'm yeah. 100% fine with my fat cat eating my face. He's adorable. <laughs> I've had cats. I love cats, but but yeah, they they can be fickle. They can. Yeah, they'll they'll eat your face. There's no question about it. Um, closing thoughts on. Night of Living Dead, 1968. What, likes and dislikes? Yep, your final likes, dislikes. Yeah, all right. Uh, Okay, likes pretty much everything except this is my one dislike, and this is a nitpick for this type of film, and the context is, is king because it's an independent 1968 black and white, blah, blah, blah. Some of the acting shit, I mean, you know, but what are you going to do? So besides that, I like everything about this movie. I have no problems with this film. This film has been a staple throughout my horror love, at least until later in my life when I'm like, oh, shit, this movie's fucking awesome because I don't remember, like I said, the first time I ever saw it, really, but I know I saw it younger and then watched it later and was like yeah i get it this movie's fucking doing 
it's it's like hitting every single it's just nailing it for me like like on every level as far as cinematography score even though it was thrown together and and whatever but it fits it's perfect um my only problem could pro- probably be some of the acting especially tom uh <laughs> but again it's it's an independent film like what are you going to do Tom's acting reminds me of the blob from the 1950s. The yeah. 1958 blob. We talked about 1980. Actually, the blob was 88. Pumpkin yeah, the remakes, 88. 88. That was during our Flesh eaters with 88. We did have an 88 run. I'm going to go next. I'm going to go next, and I'm going to let uh, our special guest carry us home. I, I right away told you guys my dislikes or I should say not dislikes, but nitpicks from the film. And a lot of it, well, the first, the biggest one is just the fact that you guys were wrong and everybody's wrong and thinking that the basement's the way to go because it's not facts are facts. Uh, Science, uh, science is science. You guys are fucking wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You board up the house and you go upstairs and you jump out the window and hope you don't sprain your ankle. No, but all, all jokes aside, the biggest problem I had with this was just a personal one. And it's just, I didn't like the way the character of, okay, I don't, I don't want to make this comparison, but I'm going to make this comparison of Franklin from the 74 TCM. That's oh. some of the vibes I got from Barbara. And it was actually kind of frustrating. And I was like sitting there, but I mean, if that's what the filmmakers were going for, then bravo, because when you make a movie, you need to elicit emotions out of your viewers, whether it's good or bad. And I did not like her character, <laughs> and they were eliciting that emotion out of you. But that was just my choice. They chose to have her do that, and whatever is fine. Otherwise, I, that's it. I mean, that's, that's it. Everything else I loved about this movie. And I'm kind of preluding to my rating, but... Jerry Herring, why don't you uh, carry us away with your likes, dislikes, and then you can give your first rating out of 10. You can do quarter points if you want. You can do fucking 10. I don't give a fuck. Whatever you want. Quarter points are for communists. Um, (laughs) 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 I, uh, I don't have anything I dislike. I do have a personal thing, and this isn't with necessarily specific to this movie. I like explanations. I want things explained to me, which is weird because some of my favorite movies are, are Japanese horror movies and Japanese horror movies don't explain jack shit to you yeah. whatsoever. They're like, what does Suicide Club mean? Go fuck yourself. That's what it means. That's We're right. not telling you. Um, so I would have actually liked a... 100% explanation of what caused the ghouls but I am glad they at least gave us like a plausible this may be it even though Romero has said that there is no explanation can I side tangent you for a second interrupt you real quick Yeah, you and I are very similar in that point but there are certain movies I can forgive I want to ask first off have you seen The Void yes did you like it Loved it. Yes. I wanted the, but because I know, because that I know that my pet peeve is, is 
it's a, my own personal bias and I try to remove that bias whenever I can when critiquing something. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. With The Void, there was enough that I liked that I said, okay, I don't have an explanation that I would like, but I can, I can accept it here. Okay. And in Night of the Dead, they give you an explanation without giving you an explanation. They give you a plausibility. Right. Right. And so it's cosmic. easier to accept. It's just cosmic. Oh, God. I Ever. don't like the whole cosmic thing. I'm not an H.P. Lovecraft guy. Oh. Um, oh. I, color Out of Space was fucking awful. No! Nick Cage is a shitty actor. The special effects no. in that movie were shitty. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh the God. sun's burning her. We need to take her to the attic. We oh take her to the attic. God. Look at this giant window that the sun's going right through. Oh We're fucking God. great. I fucking love it. I love it. The movie sucked. Um, no. I got tears. And, and while I'm at it, just to piss off whoever else I can, Mandy sucked, and Willy's no. Wonderland is the worst fucking movie I have seen since the fucking village. I want to kill myself. Oh, I right love the now. village, though. Everything you said so trash. far, I'm fine yeah. with, but the village, no, I like. No. Um, I, hate but, uh, I hate everything you just said. I hate it all. I love um, it. I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I was going to um, ask you a question, but I'm so fucking frazzled right now. I can't even. Um, but I love this movie. I really don't have any dislikes. It's all, it's all likes. I, I think this is a, a, a fucking movie that. Uh, you could remake this movie without remaking it. You can just take another group of people from another point in the United States in the 1960s and go, this is them. This is them. And that's why at the end of the day, this is why Walking Dead works. While I'm not a fan of The Walking Dead, I only watched the first season, hated all the characters and said, fuck this. and never watched it anymore. Even though I lived where it was filmed and know many people who have been on the set. Um, I, it's, it's not my thing, but I think if it would, if, if there was more night of the living dead movies set in the 1960s, I think I'd be more into it. Um, the limitation of the 1960s is appealing to me. So with that being said, I give the movie a perfect 10 out of 10. As you fucking should. <laughs> oh, well said well said i really appreciate you speaking the truth on movies like and mandy bar- and mandy, and, mandy yeah. and fucking all that other sh- shit oh okay. my god tibu what yeah okay i love nicholas you need Cage. a minute or are you okay to go i love willie's wonderland i love mandy i love all that shit and i love night of the living dead so and uh no, hey man, this movie is a ten out of ten for the obvious reasons. This is a if you're a horror fan and you are not at least a it's like the Beatles. If you don't at least a pre like I respect the Beatles. I don't like them, but I respect it. Then I can sit there and say, Well, I respect you. And if you can if you're a horror fan and you sit there and say, I don't respect Night of the Living Dead, go to hell go right to hell and come back as a zombie and uh, get shot in the head. So this movie's a 10 out of 10. Right between the eyes. Okay. Yeah. That one character at the very end of the movie that was with the 
uh, the, the sheriff, did he not look like fucking a young Robert De Niro? Tell me you guys saw that. I, I was see like, that. there's straight Robert De Niro. Not the sheriff, but the other guy with him. I was like, that's 100% mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. The okay. one who actually shot. Yes, yes. Ben. Uh, uh, yep, he was in the last, like, he was the one he's, you know, he's standing next to when he's like, oh, I love stars at Bonfire. I love how we came full circle to uh, Robert De Niro being in Night of the Living Dead when we were talking about de-aging people and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Maybe that's why I brought it up. I love this movie. Um, you know, I have a couple flaws with it. I mean, we, we, we could have got on for another hour or two hours about the lasting impact, the iconic status, what it's done not only to the zombie genre, but horror movies in general. I'm coming in at seven and a half with this movie, and it's what? I'm joking. It's a fucking ten. I just saw. <laughs> I saw Jerry. I saw Jerry do the the slow look up. <laughs> All I saw was Jerry looking up from his phone. Dude, like, no, but you had me even for a second. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> No, it's it's a fucking perfect ten. I love this movie. I told you guys in the first thirty seconds that I've seen this movie a hundred times. I love it. Um, it's iconic, and I'm I'm so glad to have obviously Tibu with us as always. But Jerry Herring, I was hoping that when I so to our listeners and even to Tibu, when I was all of the special guests on this for the most part, I gave them the option of what movie do you want to talk about? And I would say all, I think I told Tibu, so we're doing eight of them. Mm-hmm. All but two movies were actually chosen. So I only had to assign two of them. And when I asked Jerry, I will say that you are probably the first person, one of the first person I asked and one of the first person that got back to me that picked this movie. And I was hoping out of all the movies that you were going to pick this one because out of all the guests we're going to have on, I know that you appreciate the older classic black and white ones. So I really wanted to have your thoughts and everything on this. And I'm really glad that we finally were able to record this. It, folks listening, this has been in the works for like two years. I, I swear to God, I remember when I went back and was looking through our old messages, I was like, Back in 2019, I asked you to be a special guest. You're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And I'm, like, embarrassed that it took two years for us to do this. But I'm glad that we're able to make it work. And we are definitely going to have you back on again at some point if you will join us. Because I already know what movie you are going to be on. And let's just say that it's not American. It's an Asian movie, and I'm not going to give you any hints. And I heard you mention it on not your podcast, but another one before. And I was like, motherfucker, you better not review this because you are coming on my show to do this. So, oh, yes. And Tibu doesn't even know this one. No, I I have no idea what's going on right now. Could be 22 shots. It could be with Duncan, but I'm not going to give you any hints. And I know, Hmm. well, let's just say it's going to be a lot of fun. So, any last thoughts, anything, Tibu, Jerry, before we wrap this shit up? Uh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. I'm glad I got to finally talk Night of the Living Dead because I've never gotten to talk Night of the Living Dead. And I'm glad I could bring some cool insights uh, to the movie for y'all as 
Cole knows from listening to me on like 22 shots and uh, the summer series when I guest on a show, I try my best to bring something new. Um, sometimes I come and I'm just really funny. Sometimes I come and I'm like, here's my new theory I fucking crafted. Um, sometimes I come and I want a sandwich. That's also true. Fried bologna sandwiches, to be precise. Ooh. It's neither here nor there. Oh, but, my wife would love you. She does. Um, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> thank you for having me on. I had a fucking blast with you guys. I'm so glad that we finally got to make this happen. Oh, hold on, hold on. Before you go, there's one other thing we have to do. You didn't you. think we were going to let you out of here without running the gauntlet, did you, Jerry Herring? I, I thought that uh, the gauntlet was retired because uh, we said uh, the, the – hold up, give me a second. I'll figure out a way out of this. We, <laughs> no, the gauntlet no was retired because even though Thanos said that he was inevitable, <laughs> we actually proved in this episode that Night of the Living Dead's success was inevitable – so therefore, the old gauntlet was retired from Thanos, and now Night of the Living Dead has the gauntlet. Therefore, you do not have the gauntlet to present. There's I just the happen to have the sixth stone. You didn't know there were six of them, but you do now because you, I have it. You know there were six stones in the movie, there right? There are six stones. Seven. There's, there's... Seven. I have the seventh, all right? There's <laughs> <laughs> someone's like, oh, shit. Oh, no. Fucking white guy doesn't know how many infinity stones. Oh are. my god! Let's, so I'm gonna put in like a toilet flushing soundtrack <laughs> right now with that joke. You should. You, you look like you look like fucking uh, Haley Joel Osmond if he was skinnier. <laughs> Hey, you said skinnier, so I appreciate that. I appreciate and, it. And handsome. Come on, say handsome. You, oh, you man. look like if uh, the Hansons had a fourth brother who ran a Kmart. <laughs> if oh, you would have said Pomida, we, I'd be all right with that. Can, on, can I run a Pomida, please? Um, what the fuck is a Pomida? You don't know what Pomida is? Pomida looks like whatever fucking uh, country Travis is from. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even deal with it right now. I still have to go through the gauntlet, don't I? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Do you know what the gauntlet is, Jerry Herring? I I I, re I remember it vaguely. There's been a lot of drugs since then. <laughs> well, I'm gonna make it real easy on you. It's all very short shotgun type style answers i ask you a question you answer without saying anything jerry herring are you ready for the gauntlet my friend hold up you just said i have to answer without saying anything so no 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 thinking no thinking no thinking, no thinking. okay yeah, no thinking just answer gut reaction so. boom 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 just answer okay here we go without thinking travis looks like he listens to rage against the scene while wearing a fidel castro shirt he does. Mm, that's that's 100% <laughs> wrong. Crotchless panties. <laughs> oh, shit. That's 100% right. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm sorry. Jerry Herring is running the gauntlet. Are you ready? Ready. 
Pizza or burgers? Uh, burgers. Beer or liquor? Liquor. Hockey, football, baseball, or basketball? None of the above. Ass or titties? Titties. Stand or sit when you wipe? Uh, sit. Homebody or out with your friends? Homebody. Fishing or hunting? Neither. Cannibal Holocaust or a Serbian film? Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Rather go blind or rather go deaf? Rather go deaf. Top half of Hulk Hogan and bottom half of Margot Robbie or bottom half of Hulk Hogan <laughs> and top half of Margot Robbie? <laughs> top half of Margot Robbie. I'm a big blowjob fan. <laughs> penis-sized nipples or nipple-sized penis? Uh, 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 nipple-sized <laughs> penis. I'll do like the uh, people do and they just wear the bands yeah. to hold it down. Boy, d- uh, boys don't cry. <laughs> yeah, Rock- I will boys don't cry that. Rock or country? Rock. Cats or dogs? Cats. Doggy or missionary? Uh, it's surprisingly missionary. <laughs> Freddy, Jason, Michael, or Leatherface? Jason. Slasher, zombie, supernatural, or creature feature? Creature feature. Chucky or Leprechaun? Leprechaun. John Carpenter oh. or Wes Craven? John Carpenter. Ari Aster or Jordan Peele? Jordan Peele. 90s horror or the 2000 knots? 2000 knots. Hills Have Eyes, original or remake? Original. Slow Burns or yes. To the Point? To the Point. First movie you have ever seen? Uh, first movie I ever technically first, saw. First horror was... movie, horror movie. Oh, uh, Jaws. Favorite horror movie besides Jaws? Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. That, Jerry Herring, is the gauntlet. You have survived it. You have run through it. You have crushed it. <clears throat> Thank you for playing. Hey, you know, I just, I went out there. I gave it 100%. Uh, (laughs) There was questions about sports ball that I didn't understand, but I just just (laughs) kept going forward. Um, That's like me. (laughs) I don't, I don't do any kind of sports, but (laughs) I did recently find out that I liked cornhole. So. Hell yes. If you have a couple beers or rum and Whatever I did it sober. It. Yeah, I support that's, whoever that's you love awesome. in cornhole. I don't care. 2021, awesome. bro. I was born in Alabama. I will fuck you and call you my cousin, okay? I'm from Louisiana. Don't okay, you'll fuck me and call me a crawfish? I don't know what that means. He is your cousin. He's your cousin. Okay, I will fuck you and call you Gambit. <laughs> All right, folks, that wraps up the night of the living dead, 1968. I hope you guys had fun, and I hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Boom. That was incredible. Is it good for you? (laughs) I've had better. (laughs) 